Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, April 2nd, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Steve Say, Poof, and Mr. Bob Ryer. Where is everybody? We're all alone in this room together. Yeah. Um, Stephanie is... Would you like to play a game? <laughs> yeah. A little guy with a little, little tricycle holds up. <laughs> um, so Stephanie is still away. She was at Emerald City Comic Con, and she has not returned home yet, so... We are braving the comic book podcast uh, without her. Uh, tonight we'll be doing a history of Captain America, and Mr. Joey Bertino will be joining us for the second half of the show. That's to, to where do he that. is. That's where he oh. is. He's off singing and dancing somewhere right now as we record this. <laughs> oh, is he going to make an entrance? Like, this is going to be don't great. Know. Yeah, I don't know. As much as you can make an entrance uh, over Skype. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But yeah, uh, we'll be doing a history of Captain America, obviously led uh, by Bob. This is kind of a Captain America week of sorts for us. If you go to the website, you'll see... Um, Bob has republished his 10 essential Captain America stories. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely check that out. We have a, a panel review, 101, coming from Joey, where he oh. dissects Captain America comics, number one. Nice. This is the first appearance of of, of uh, the Super Soldier. Uh, Steve uh, and Bob hosted a book club this past weekend. And it'll be posted any day the now. The Ed Brubaker's <laughs> The Winter Soldier. Um, I think, well, depending on how long, we also have an interview with Steve Englehart. Ooh. That Story, interview is great. Captain America writer, which you guys will hear um uh, on friday uh but we uh i'm if i gotta check the room we have but if we have enough room i'm possibly also put the book club up on the podcast feed uh this time around sweet uh just so people can listen to that winter soldier discussion sure uh, as a podcast as part of the the captain america week and then obviously you will joey bracino is obviously also reviewing uh captain america winter soldier for us as far as a written review Hmm. and then we back next week uh, with our review of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which we're all very, very excited to go see this mm-hmm. weekend. Um, yeah, I'm super stoked. The reviews have been a, a great, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Uh, also, next week, uh, possibly, not for sure yet, but Brian Verderosa of Talking Movies may be joining us. Awesome. Little, oh, good little, God. Little crossover. Yes. <laughs> little crossover potential going on with that. For... Uh... To review the yeah. movie? To review the movie, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, he'll just be on to review the movie. And I'm, t- I'm tinkering also with maybe doing that section of the show uh, live. So okay. we'll see. We'll see what happens mm-hmm. with that. But mm-hmm. The reviews are coming out from not the usual sources. And great. Daily News, four stars, and mm. regular newspapers are saying this is a really good movie. Yeah. Which is nice to see. Yeah, yeah I've heard uh, from a couple of people, people from the site and uh, just people on Twitter and in general that have been very respectful and not saying much of anything aside from their huge praise yeah. of the movie. Hugh loved it. Yeah. Uh, my friend Eric said, I mean, he saw it. He was the first person I talked mm. to that saw it, that was reviewing it, and now he's going to see it again with friends just for the sake of seeing it. And he's like, I cannot wait to see it again when I don't have to. I can just enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, all, all signs point to good. Yeah. 
So we'll see. We'll see. I'm psyched. We'll see. Taking big bucks overseas too. Yeah. 75, 80 million. Yeah, it's like gonna that? be big. It's nice. gonna be so. I think it's going to be. I think it's gonna be bigger than Thor. Uh, Thor two. Oh yeah. It seems to have a lot more buzz and a lot more positive feedback going into it. Um, I don't know if it will re- if it will reach um, Iron Man numbers because that's pretty huge. Oh, yeah, what three four hundred million? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's huge numbers. Um, so Iron Man three is the biggest of all of them. So you know we have to see what happens there. But I think it's going to be big, big numbers, and I'm excited to to see it. And yeah, it's he, it, First Avenger was my favorite of those those original set of movies. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see what they do with this one. Yeah. I watched it again, like maybe three or four nights ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Well, obviously it's good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good. Like, it's, it's all right. You yeah, know, that's, that's my tonight's viewing after leaving here. Yeah, no, it's still, it's still my favorite one. It's still, it's just, it's got, uh, it's got so many things about comic book films that I love. The hero's great. All the performances are great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's so damn good. I love an underdog story. Yeah. And it's like the best one I'd ever heard. Yeah. Or at least in, in the, the top it would be in the top of the list. Yeah. And perfect marriage of director to property. Yeah. If you want a, a retro 40s hero, you know, call Joe Johnston. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love to see him do a Superman movie. Yeah. If they did a period piece, it'd be great. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll obviously a lot of thoughts about Captain America, the Winter Soldier next week. I talked around doing it on the weekend, but it seems like when we do it on the weekend... People, most people haven't seen the movie yet, so they don't. They don't like. Oh, uh, you know, never thought of yeah, that. Well, we yeah, got a, we got a couple last time when we did the the Thor review. I think it was people mm-hmm. were like I haven't seen it yet. You know, so <laughs> they didn't. Re- they didn't end up listening to it until the regular time anyway. Yeah. So I uh, will wait till the regular time to put out that show. But does that mean we lose Jeff? Yeah, no Jeff this time. <laughs> we're we're amping up his new show. Uh, late ah. night tonight so i'm excited for that yeah I- i'm excited too it's been it's been cool to work with him on it like we're we're actually doing some writing we're doing some like skits and stuff like that so they could fall on their faces and be horrible but they could also be funny so it's that that it kind could of, make them funny yeah that kind of danger to it is exciting and he's booked a couple of pretty cool guests you know i, I don't think he's announcing anything yet but it's it's nice how is he exploring the musical portion i know he said it's something about having musical guests to play live over the show yeah he's going um he's having bands through skype He's going to interview them for a couple minutes and then have them play a song live uh, over Skype. Uh, do a giant teeth acoustic set. They're going to do one. They're, I think they're, uh, I think see, they're I, our second I can, guests. I can predict the future. <laughs> I think they're going to be our second guests um, after uh, uh, John Foster, Snow Day, um, which a uh, friend of Jeff's who has done the theme music for us and stuff like that. He's going to be the first guest. He's a really talented musician. Sweet. Then we're going to do giant teeth and we're going to see. We might have actually Brian might do one as well. We're going to, you know. Awesome. But it, it should be fun. It should be a lot of fun and Hopefully, it's the cool thing about it is I think the music part especially is that people can't get it somewhere else. It's not just playing an MP3 on the show. It's something that if you're these might be have small audiences, but if you're a fan of one of these bands, mm-hmm. it's the only mm-hmm. place you'll be able to hear this band do this thing. Yeah. So it, it could be cool and kind of special. So we will we'll, we'll see what happens. I can't wait for you to do your live episode. Yeah, it should be fun. I told him too. When, you know, when Jeff also does stand up comedy. If you don't, if you don't know Jeff and you haven't, he was on the Thor two review, obviously, and he did the Man Cave podcast for a long time. But he also does stand up comedy, and I told him this is the kind of show that if if you got really comfortable with it, you can do it live in front of people because that's what it's meant to be. It's meant mm-hmm. to be kind of like a a tonight show, but in podcast form. Mm-hmm. So it's built to be built to be visual. So it could be it could be cool. You know, who knows. Sky's the limit. Sky yes. is the limit. Um, we have many podcasts for you guys to <laughs> to listen to and look at. Um, we obviously have Talking Comics, you guys are listening to right now. Talking Games. Yeah. Um, which new episode is being recorded tomorrow. Be up on Thursday for yeah, you guys. Yeah, I'm going to have to change the itinerary a little bit. For my, my stuff, nothing nothing oh, gotcha. to do with anybody else. I think we're going to skip the news. Gotcha. Because... 
I as much as I've read, mm-hmm. I, I still don't. I mean, like I don't, right. I don't know who he is. Well, the problem is like Phil Spencer. The news we're gonna do was this Phil, Phil Spencer story who took over the head of Microsoft. Yeah, um, it's tough for things like that in video game world because it's like a billion dollar company, and I know nothing about what it means to run. Well, that's the thing. Any part yeah. of a billion dollar company, so it's tough to talk about those news. Like items. I see all these tweets, and everybody's like, "Oh, congratulations!" And yeah. "Oh my God, he's the man!" And you yeah. know, things are gonna turn around. And I'm yeah. like, "That's awesome! You've 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 gotten me pumped." Who is this guy? He, what did he do? He worked for Sony for a long time as well. I know that. Um, he's been an executive all over the place. He's just been, uh, he's always been a really positive force, I think, wherever he's been. Okay. So that's why people are really excited that he's going to be the head of Xbox now. Let's oh. see if he can get me to buy one. Very gamer focused, too. That's the part about it. Well, he's, yeah, I, yeah. I heard that he's he's a gamer himself yeah. and he actively plays and he cares. And, you know, that's, I would like somebody who gives a shit to be in yeah. charge. That'd be nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, and then talking movies, I just did a review of Noah, which, uh, the Darren Aronofsky movie. really good. I heard it was really good too. You know, hmm. they, they, their review is, 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 very cool and interesting. So check that out. Um, I think the Misfits are coming back next week. So we got a lot of podcasts yep. for you guys. <laughs> um, comics and coffee coming this week too? Uh, there is a Friday, every Friday, comics and coffee. We did required comic book reading last week. Whoa. I have to catch up to that. Um, yeah, there was a story about, uh, this is like a cool kind of like mini story that we talked about on that show, but, uh, the, the John Lewis book. March, um, which was about the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. it became required reading at um, at Michigan State, and wow. I can't remember the other university right now. And I talked about it on the show, but it's another yeah. big, another big university. One of it's like a it's like an outreach program with the community that you, they read it together, like students and people and the community read it together. Another one is like for incoming freshmen, they read it in for the summer before they come in. Hmm. But they they kind of figured that about ten thousand people would be reading it at the same time because of these two initiatives. Nice. So we talked a little bit about books that we thought maybe could fit into that milieu a little mm. bit. Definitely want to hear that one. So that, that's up there. Um, yeah. And so let's get, let's get, let's talk about the, the other business. Let's get some comic book stuff yeah. here. Um, we're going to write to the books week because there wasn't much news. There was like a little bit of stuff that came out. There was bullshit news. There's bullshit news. <laughs> yeah. April Fool's. It was so. April Fool's Day when they were recording this, so you can't believe anything you hear. Um, we did hear that... Uh, there's 500,000 orders for Amazing Spider-Man number one from Dan Slott yeah. and yeah, Umberto Ramos. Damn. Which makes it the biggest uh, single issue, single ordered book since the uh, Barack Obama issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Hmm. Uh, so it's pretty huge. We'll see what happens there. They just cast Doctor Doom in the Doctor in the Fantastic Four movie. Did they really? Yeah. Um, I don't even... I, I, I have to look it up, his name. as something Marianne I don't know. Cody Art. Yeah, I know. When did they announce this? They announced this uh, probably a few hours ago. It's definitely real. It's on Variety. <laughs> It's on Variety. Variety, variety does not variety, print yeah. fake stories. And it's been on Variety's every, in on the game. And every single website, every single uh, like movie news website is picked up. And it's it up. a it's a male Doctor Doom. It's a male Doctor Doom. All right. He, um, I'm trying to find his name real quick. Oh uh, come on! I, you gotta at least give me that. His name is Toby Kebble. Um, What's he been in? He he was just in something pretty big. Um, I'm looking it up right now. This is awesome radio. Um, yes, it is. It's fine. Let's I wanted see. Victoria. I'll talk about some point. stuff. <laughs> How you doing, everybody? Uh, so, and I love the slash film story because it says it cannot be worse than the, than the Julian McMahon version of the 2005 film, right? Uh, um, I agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. He's a good actor too, and that was a shame. He just didn't get to play anything. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, I'm trying to find him. I can't find anything that he, he's been in so uh he was in a movie called control um oh that's the joy division document the uh joy division biopic um dead man's shoes um he was in rock and roller 
Um, so and he's in the counselor. He's been in a couple other things, but he mm-hmm. was in something else that I, I read. I read seen. today, and I can't find what it was. All right, whatever. Yeah, yeah. he's an actor. He's, he's an actor. actor yeah. He's a real actor that apparently is, is is very well liked. Oh, he's in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's coming out this year. Ooh, can't wait to see Me that. The first one was awesome. I loved. Yeah, that first, first one was movie. good. Yeah, I saw that, tra- that. I saw that trailer, and I was like, this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me. Monkeys. Um, so not a ton of big news came out. Uh, I'm sure that the, right after we record this podcast, there'll be huge news. Yeah. Um, Brian Michael Bendis put out a fake uh, new Amalgam Universe uh, post, which I thought was pretty funny. Got to look at that one. I'm... Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's talk. We, there was a lot of uh, new books that came out last week, some books that ended. We're going to talk about um, all of those uh, today. Um, Steve, let's start. Let's start over with you. Yeah, let's do that. Um, you want to talk about uh, the number one or the other book first? Uh, let's talk about the number one, because okay. I think I have a little bit more to say about number two. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, so don't go there. We're I ta- already did. It's done. <laughs> it's recorded. It's in the books. So we're talking about Silver Surfer number one here. Yeah, we're talking about Silver Surfer number one, uh, written by Dan Slott with art by Michael Allred and how, colors by Laura Allred. How can you go wrong? Oh, I was, I thought, like, no, no. I thought I was wrong. No, 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 no. All right, good. I said, <laughs> how can you go wrong? That would have been really embarrassing. Yeah, no. Um, By the way, I feel like an idiot because I did not realize until literally right before we started recording that the credits were on the tail of like the, yeah. the Silver Surfboard. <laughs> yeah. I was like, they're not on the front of the book. That's weird. Um, so, okay. So, I really enjoyed this. I My books this week are going to be all about... Like I, I know, I'm not trying to bite off. Yeah, I have a theme. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to bite off Stephanie's epic uh, Silver Surfer uh, uh, requiem mm-hmm. speech from from last week because that was just awesome. I haven't read it yet, uh, but I really do want to pick it up and, and check it out. But both of my favorite books this week had really um, like high emotional points or just inspiring stuff to them and actually one of the things about silver surfer that i absolutely loved was on the very first page um you know brand new book issue number one and it opens up with uh two main characters or who i'm assuming to be uh, a main character maybe a little bit later but dawn who uh as we know is going to be the uh companion of the silver surfer as he goes through the series is standing on a porch when she's a young girl with her our twin sister named Eve. And they see what looks like a shooting star cascading through the sky and they point up to it. And uh, each one of them goes to make a wish. And Dawn basically her, her sister Eve wishes to go all around the world. She wants to see Paris. She wants to see Rome. She wants to, go all to all these places. And Dawn is like, yeah, I want to do that too. And her sister's like, you can't do that. You can't steal my wish. You got to make your own wish. So she decides instead of wishing for something for herself, that she's going to actually wish for something for the star. And I'm going to, I'm going to read this out. It says, I wish that the star could just keep going. Then everyone could get a wish and it could stay up uh, in the sky forever. And I really like on that first page, I stopped and I read it a few times and I was like, that is beautiful that's really nice and it it made me think about kind of the generic like superficiality of the sister's wish in that you know not to say that you can't wish for something for yourself people see falling stars all the time they say they're really rare i've seen a ton of them in my life um but every time that i see a a shooting star i usually make like not a, a group wish but just a wish for 
two people if I'm allowed to, you know, either stay together and, and, and be well and go through life and whatever. So the idea that Dawn is the type of character, the type of girl that would make a wish for the actual star and would, you know, basically give up her ability to make the wish. It really hit me. And it, it as a, as a, just her character. And I was like, this is going to be good. Like, this is going to be really cool. I like that she did that. Where is this going? And as we get into it, we come to find out that uh, Silver Surfer is, you know, he's cruising the cosmos, doing his thing, kind of using uh, the the power cosmic to do good, trying to make up for his crimes and, and misdeeds against humanity and all of alien life across the galaxy uh, during his time with Galactus. And he happens upon these, like, weird little floaty eyeball things that invite him to this part of space that he's never been to doesn't know about and he's basically like i am the cosmos man i know about everything like well you don't know about this because we kept this from you and situation comes in they're being threatened and they want the silver surfer to defend them and to stand for them unfortunately there's a kind of like a, a ritual that happens um, to induct people into this place. I don't want to tell you the whole damn book, but let's just say this. By the end of the book, Dawn and the Silver Surfer are introduced to one another. And for me, it's all about who Dawn is supposed to be to the Silver Surfer and the conditions upon which she's been brought to him. And I think it's really kind of amazing that this girl who, you know, is kind of envious of her sister her sister's the one that wanted to travel the world and Mm. see all these things while dawn was very content to just be home with her father stay on the island do the bed and breakfast thing and she was happy just being where she is and never really dreamed too big for herself because she was too busy giving her wishes up to other people and other things and other stars and now she's poised to go on like the journey of a million lifetimes Mm -hmm. with the silver surfer on the board you know, Doctor Who style, going all throughout the cosmos, doing these things. Not only is she going to see the world, but she's going to see the galaxy. She's going to see the stratosphere. She's going to see all of these things, the universe, essentially. And um, the idea that he doesn't know who she is and what she's going to mean to him above all these other women that have been involved in his life, that this is the one that's going to matter most and he has no idea why. I love that Mm -hmm. about the book. Uh, And not to mention that the art is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. But it's it's like like an interplanetary uh, love story, but without without romance just yet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I've probably said too much, but it's only number one. Go and pick it up. Uh, Anybody want to jump in? Yeah, absolutely. I... You mentioned it once, but this this is an episode of Doctor Who, yeah, with the Silver Surfer as the Doctor and um, this woman as Amy Pond. Basically, is like it's almost the same. It's a lot of, a lot of the same story, and then mm-hmm. the kind of and this is not a slight against the book. I think it's a very cool thing that he's taken because Dan Slott is a huge Doctor Who fan. If you follow him on Twitter, you know that um, he's taken something he loves and transfigured it into something that works within this framework. Uh, I think this book is a lot of fun. Uh, I did not get the same. Um, like uh, I think that what she said at the beginning is very sweet and, and kind of and pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not get the same like emotional uh, factor out of it for me. I just felt like it was it was like a fun ride and I was on it and yeah. Um, I'm sure that I feel like there is emotion to come. 
I, I like let's put it this way I could take it even further, but I, I'm trying not to spoil things for people mm. or spoil key moments. Right. But there just there are a lot of things that point to there. There are other reasons why I really dug it, but for mm. the sake of of people who haven't read it yet, I want them to make their own uh, make up their own minds and read it for themselves and such. Uh, maybe off air, right. I'll, I'll tell you. But yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where it's just a a little peek at what's to come and. I mean the art, that double page uh, yeah. of the of the hidden planet yeah, is just it's amazing. I mean the art is undeniably gorgeous, and Mike Allred is, is doing he just like with FF. I think it's one of these books that he's kind of made, he's made mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, um, you know it, it, it's it's silly, but it's also it's got you know weight to it and depth to it. Yeah, um, it, it's it's simple, but it's not simplistic. So it, it, it's got a lot, it's got a lot to it. You know, there are times where you go from kind of just the the, the surfer with his kind of Oh, you know, almost like flat, you know, silver look to these moments where Bob is page open where he's reflections of all of these things, yeah. you know, going on in his body and stuff like that. My question is, I've only read a few Silver Surfer things, and I want to ask Bob mm-hmm. this question: um, the, the the kind of the way the Surfer is portrayed here, as far as his voice goes and the way he speaks. I don't know if there's been a consistent depiction of the character since, it, since he came around, or if this is in line with it. I, I, I want to know. For the longest time, the only person who would write Silver Surfer stories was Stanley, right? He would not allow them once this, the solo series didn't do well. It came out about three or four years after he was introduced. And Kirby had moved on at that point. So it was John Busema. And some of the images you're talking about reflecting his body, those are Busema images mm-hmm. from the solo series, particularly this one down over here. Though this of Alicia over here on his left shoulder is from uh, FF 49, hmm. I think it is. Stan didn't want anyone else to touch it. He thought it was very important that he had a stable and consistent personality and that philosophy of what's wrong with you people. You have this beautiful world mm-hmm. and yet all you do is fight with each other and cause misery for each other. Don't you understand the glory of being alive? And mm-hmm. he waxed poetic a lot. It was Stan Ultra. <laughs> and in the years since, there's been a lot of that. He is, at some level, sort of turned into Mr. Spock. Mm-hmm. Cold, dispassionate, and occasionally get mad. Right. Here, I think it's more like Stan's. Okay. Especially the early issues where he was... He came to Earth as a nothing. He knew nothing mm-hmm. about us. He, we didn't know his origin. Mm-hmm. He was created, honestly, his character is created by Stan, but his, he was completely created by Jack Kirby. The, do you know the story of this? Yeah, I think you've said it before. That okay. he was like, he'd have a herald. because he's Right, he's, yeah. he's a god. He wouldn't yeah. just show up. Right. So he gave the pages back to Stan, and who's well, who's that guy? Well, mm-hmm. he's, he's the Silver Surfer. Oh, okay, great. And so Stan just fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. I think very much so here, he is that, he. I guess he's been away a long time, and he's sort of drifted away from being a, a little of that humanity. He's right. now reclaiming it, trying to fix things. He makes a speech where he's, he, he's a little angry here when he realizes he's been tricked mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about all these other people who are important to him. Across the years, in the 90s, for instance, he went flying around the galaxy with Alicia Masters. She and Ben were not together. Mm-hmm. And he remembered their moments together. And said, well, why don't you come into space? We can, I can let you see the wonders of everything. Right. I can do that. Just because you're blind doesn't mean you can't see them. Mm-hmm. And it was really very touching. The book didn't do very well. It didn't do well in the 70s. It's never done well. It's mm. an awful hard sell to people to right. sell them philosophy mm-hmm. every month. Yeah. I think the mixture with this art style, which is a hell of a lot of fun and very, very classic 60s style, mm. 
but it, on the new sort of page layouts that you can do, the coloring you can use, the full bleeds to the edge, it is now fresh and new at the same time. Right. And Dan Slott's the perfect guy to write this. And this is a passion project. We heard him at, at mm. the convention saying, I don't have any time to do this, but I've got to do this. Mm. And right. it shows that he loves his character. I, I feel as Steve did, I got very touched by that opening sequence mm. and there are a yep. couple of other moments in between. I think to come, this is going to be mm-hmm. the book that we say... Wow, how mm. those two characters yeah. together? I couldn't have seen this girl in a polka dot dress and her red Converse All Stars flying around space, and yet, yeah. like they should always have been together. Somehow. Yeah, for me, I I mean, I'm excited that it's the Silver Surfer. Obviously, it's it's his book, mm. but I'm so much more excited and 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 interested in Dawn's character because, you know, when we do these end of the year lists and whatnot, and we do the top 10 females of 2014 i can guarantee you already just from this one issue that she will definitely be if not on that list she'll be a contender Mm. like you have this moment where she's looking at the photos of her sister around the world and she's being called downstairs and to a credit to this book and the artists and everything instead of her dad calls her instead of just having an extra word bubble that says you know coming or whatever Mm. they have this whole panel of her zipping down the banisters riding the banisters downstairs it just it shows that she's fun. It shows that she's she's content in what she's doing, and she's not like slogging through the day looking mm-hmm. after people. And you know she's stuck with her dad on this island, and she's bored, and she wanted this. Mm-hmm. She's actually really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I I really it's for me a lot of it's about her, and I love the idea of just in that first page that twelve years before they even meet face to face that they Dawn and the Silver Surfer were somewhat interconnected and involved in each other's lives when she makes that wish and mm-hmm. that star turns out to be the Silver Surfer. Right. That's on the first page, by the way. I'm not ruining yeah, yeah, anything yeah, for yeah. you. Uh, I just think it's beautiful. I think it's really nice. Yeah, no, I think it's very nice as well. I just, I, I, I'm excited about where the book is going and I think part of it is also, and this is not the book's fault at all, right before I read it, I read Silver Surfer Silver Surfer. That Requiem, was going to be my next thing, yeah. And it pulverized me emotionally. Like I was, after every issue, I was like, I feel like I got punched in the gut because of what was going on in that book. And so when I picked up this book, I, I like I still really liked it, but the emotional stuff just it obviously wasn't it's not meant to be that that sort of emotional mm-hmm. stuff, but I was my emotions were already so geared towards that with that this character that I, I just I didn't respond to it I think in the way that I would have if I just read it cold. Yeah. But I got to say Stephanie's not on the show this week, but I texted her after I read it. She did not oversell the book at all. That's awesome. Um there there's there's like three or there's four four issues and they all have him going visiting like these different people it's fantastic four and then it's spider-man and then he's helping a, like a, a planet out and then he goes mm-hmm. home you know back to his home planet um and that's when that galactus scene happens that she was talking about uh, and there's a couple moments there's like his lines and a couple lines that he has like as kind of you know his internal monologue in the, while he's you know while he's getting ready to die that are like unbelievable and just so powerful it's it's un- unbelievably powerful, and just like you were saying, what he stands for and the things that he says, those things are very much reflected in the, the things that he's cool. saying and that he's that he's looking back on. Hmm. Um, and you, you you get to see him kind of he goes all he flashes all the way back to when he becomes, you know, the, the Silver Surfer. He has a heck of an origin story. Yeah, and it's it's very it, you, you can it, there, there's a lot of pain there and a lot you mm-hmm. know it's it's very very it's great. But this I mean the, the I think this is going to be a great book. I love Dan Slott, and I think that it, and no. Mike Allred obviously so. Incredibly excited about Zebra Silver Surfer number one. Word. Goes. So speaking of emotions, high emotions, man. You had wrote on Twitter that you had high emotions after reading this book. Ugh. Alex and Ada number five, correct? Yeah. 
Um, I've talked about Alex and Ada a couple of times on the show. Uh, and, you know, when we keep mentioning books on the show, using our time, our favorite books of the week to, to tell you guys about titles and we repeat them, there's a reason. Uh, Alex and Ada is one of those books that every issue that comes out is my new favorite issue of this series. It is, we're at the point, um, I'm going to try to tread lightly here, but we are five issues in, so I got to tell you what's going on. Mm. Um, Alex and Ada's story about Alex, who receives a, uh, like a real life companion, an android companion from his aunt as a gift. Uh, You are emotionally involved with these people, publicly involved with these people. Um, However, they do possess qualities that allow them to be hacked. Uh, to hack an android or or a love companion is uh, illegal very much. You will go to jail probably for the rest of your life if mm. you choose to do so. Uh, at all times, you must uh, display your android's brand or symbol to the public. You can never hide the idea that your android is an android or you will go to jail probably for life. So Alex decides that instead of returning Ada he is going to go exploring, and he basically winds up finding, in through the back doors of the internet, a community of people that are willing to help him switch Ada on. And doing so is apparently, from this issue, an extraordinarily emotional and exhaustive routine to do. Um, if you can try and imagine this, Ada gets turned on, and what happens is she experiences so many emotions within like the entire gamut of what you've felt for your whole life. She experiences this within minutes, sorrow, happiness, you know, hilarity, laughter, fear, all of it, all of it comes rushing into her, her brand new brain that's just been turned on. And she experiences what they call post hack isolation, which is it basically, it overloads her to the point where she shuts herself down. She goes fetal, falls onto the ground and it's now a question of does she ever come out of it when she comes out of it if she does will she remember anything will she be like a real person or will she still be ada or is just her whole thing just wiped and she's done uh and what it basically boils down to i have a whole bunch of notes but i'm actually going to put them away because i don't need them to talk about (laughs) this um it's all about the relationship you know, people have told me that they've picked up this book and they love it and they love it, but the artwork, you know, oh, there's really, you know, not too much to look at. I'm actually really glad that Jonathan Luna uh, has, used, again, used his art style to, to present one of his books because not only does the kind of barrenness and cleanliness of the art lend to this kind of, you know, uh, super technology world. Like when you think of the future, if it's not all apocalyptic, you think of everything is like super clean. Mm-hmm. Everything looks like it came from Apple and stuff <laughs> like that. And I love that because there's nothing super distracting about the art that you can just focus on the conversations and the people that the book becomes about the, the people and primarily becomes about Alex and Ada. Um, Alex basically gets down on his knees and he can't communicate with Ada through regular human speech. He has, uh, everybody has, or I would assume instead of having a cell phone or whatever, you actually have a chip inside of your head that you're able to interact with technology. You can turn on your lights in your house. You can start your car. You can make a phone call all just by thinking about it. So he discovers that he can actually communicate with Ada when she's in this state through this chip inside of his head. 
And all the things that he says to her and all the promises that he makes to her and everything, he just, it shows where he stands in this situation. He's done this very illegal thing. And, you know, you're kind of questioning why is he doing this? Is this perverse? Is he just looking to have a girlfriend to do his bidding and whatnot? He really, really wants to help her experience life. And it's through these conversations that you start to see the similarities between the two characters and you start to see that even though Alex is alive, that so much of his situation and so much of his his social disorders and all these things is like he was also in this isolation state. And the two of them, not only is he waking up Ada to the whole world, but she's waking him up to the world and to everything around him and to things that he hasn't felt in probably ever. Um Skipping a bunch of other super emotional stuff, final page ends with the both of them just together looking on into the future, and there's this gorgeous sunset in the background on the final page, just telling you that like it starts here. They're running, they're hiding from people, they're experiencing their lives together, and moving on together as a couple is just now getting started, and some stuff is probably going to get really bad before it gets really good because somebody's going to find out what they've been doing, who she is. And, you know, I don't know. I just, when, when you get to see her smile for the first time in five issues, it was like, it was like a personal victory for me anyway. Like I was like, I've been like, I've been waiting for that. Mm -hmm. Just like everybody's waiting for Peter Parker to come back. I was waiting to see Ada express some kind of emotion outside of her pre-programmed dispositions and you get that in issue number five and this is definitely like the trade issue so to speak where now we're moving on into a whole other uh arena with the book now that you know they've activated her like it's on this is supposed to be 15 issues like the next 10 issues who knows what the hell is going to happen it's awesome awesome i love it awesome so uh, yeah, Alex and Ada number five. If you're if you're not uh, jumped on, they uh, went second printings of every issue just last week. I'm sure you can find them. The trade will most likely be out soon. Image is really good about that, uh, and it's by Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughn from Image Comics. Uh, please go and check it out if you like emotional comic book stories. You cannot go wrong with this with this one. Um. So, and the first book was Silver Surfer number one. Yeah, obviously. Um, no, no, will they do three trades, or do you think prob- one to you know? How do we probably? I would say probably. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I would say probably. Yeah, that's the probably three yeah, trades. Five, 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 and five. five, five, and yeah. five. Yeah. How else are you going to split it up? Right. So the trade could be pretty quickly. Then we could be looking yeah. just in the next couple of weeks. We'll yeah. have to keep an eye out on that. Yeah, I'm looking, I just I'm starting to do a search for it, but there's so many. Like, there's so many panels of just them communicating without words and gestures and the way that Alex is, is helping her along. And I mean, it's not like he's doing it to a child. He's, he's doing it with somebody that he really cares about. And he wants nothing more than for her to experience everything. And it's, it's re it's reinvigorated like his, his everything. Yeah. You know, you see him changing as she's changing. And I just, I love that coupled, mirrored thing about this relationship. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's gorgeous. Well, when, I know when you first talked about it, you were mentioning that Twilight Zone episode, the one Jack Warden and yeah. Gene Marsh, The Lonely, where it's love a that. similar sort of thing. And it struck me, because I knew you were going to do that one today, there's a Star Trek episode from the third season called Requiem for Methuselah. 
where the Enterprise shows up on this planet, and there's this guy. It's James Daly. It's uh, Time Daly mm-hmm. and the other Tim Daly's dad, okay. who was in tons of stuff back then. And he's this fella who seems to know everything. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out he is Alexander the Great and has been Mozart, mm-hmm. and he's lived forever and mm-hmm. acquired knowledge beyond belief. And there's this woman there with them who turns out, spoiler alert for a 50-year-old television show, <laughs> she's, she's an android that he's mm. created to be his companion. And she f- falls in love with Captain Kirk, which has happened a lot. But, mm-hmm. you know, Alexandra's not too thrilled about this mm-hmm. whole thing. It's a very touching, very sad ending. It's a similar sort of thing. She learns to be more human. Yeah. That's good and bad because there's there's the downside to yeah. having emotions. Well, I mean, I, I I can kind of I mean, there are aspects of the story that I can guess where it's going to go, but it's being we we read a lot of comic book characters and we see a lot of relationships and we I mean, once you've read Spider Man Blue and mm. things like that, and you know you've been crushed by Silver Surfer Requiem and then <laughs> you know stuff with Dawn and the Silver Surfer that there's all these different relationships. But I never leave Alex and Ada feeling sad. Like, it sounds like it's, you know, not a sad book, but I just, whenever I, I read it, it comes out. I'm so excited. I, re- I review it every month on, on Talking Comics. Um, and I just, I, f- I want to know what happens to them. Like, I, I care about the characters mm-hmm. a lot. Right. And I, I'm, like, pulling for them. And I really hope that they both get what they want. And I just, I know the Luna history mm-hmm. of just dashing almost everything right at the end. And I will, it might be the book that finally gets me to shed tears. 2014 (laughs) might be the year of tears. Hmm. Let's hope it comes out in 2014. Yeah. (laughs) That's actually, you know what? Yeah. No, there's 10 left. Yeah. It won't end. No, it won't. No. No. 2016. Ah, maybe the tears. Maybe the tears will come before the end. No, I won't be 2016. They've been consistent, man. I know. I know. I know. When 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 there's both, mm-hmm. it's okay. The yeah. one, not so much. <laughs> and that story fell apart because yeah. of it. Yeah. I yeah. was crushed. It's tough. I was I know crushed on that. I was, dude, because I'm Luna Boy. I, I know you're Luna Boy. Luna Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was really disappointed with Whispers. I, I don't know what happened, but I overwhelmed or whatever, mm. but it was just, in the end, it was not a good... It would be the last thing that I would tell people to read from the Luna Brothers. Right. You know, mm. this came out and i was like come on please please dear oh yes yes and then every issue is my favorite one that's awesome yeah mm. awesome love it awesome all right so alex and ada number five yeah. and silver surfer number one bob sure we've got a new empowered special yes we do number six is this the first one since the one that the beers with ninja nine beers, nine with ninja beers. was the last one okay. this one is Internal medicine or emergency xenopediatric pandimensional surgery for dummies. Don't believe the hypo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Adam Warren and Brandon Graham doing oh, most of the art. Brandon Graham, yeah. From Multiple Warheads and yes. Profit. Yeah. So it's a little different look. Uh, Nine Beers from Ninjet was done by, oh, I should have written this down, an actual manga artist. Mm-hmm. So it had the whole look. And this is a very different sort of art style but it still works perfectly for this rather humorous story where at the per- I, I had to write this down because I his, his he uses words that no one else uses so directly from the script here at the purple paladin hospital superhuman treatment wing dr big mclarge huge has a real problem but doc- let me explain dr big mclarge huge the doctors and nurses at this superhuman treatment hospital are the Fetishy, objectified 
doctors and nurses that men and women want to see on medical shows. So the nurses are wearing miniskirts, and the doctor has about a 14-pack, and he's muscled <laughs> up, and he's got a neck about four feet wide. And He sounds like a McDonald's food item. <laughs> yeah, well, there he is right on... He, this is a big boy here. It's like a gorilla in a... In a anyway, hmm. anyway. So Bob the Artist? Is uh, Brandon Graham? No, no, no. I'm talking about in the other book. Takeshi Miyazawa? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We have a ninja story. You should have ninjas. Well, here the real problem is uh, the doctor calls in Amp and Ninjet because he needs help with an operation because there's a mile-wide alien mothership who's screaming in some language no one understands. What they do know is her baby ship, you have a mothership, you need to have a baby ship, (laughs) is very sick with an infection, and if the doctors and nurses don't fix her, she's going to wipe out the entire city. (laughs) So you call people to come help, and you, who better to cut things apart than a ninja? I, I'm not going to ruin all the jokes, though I will say the girls do have trouble with an elevator. <laughs> there's an elevator that cheats because there's a floor that has its own set of infections, a biohazard floor that pretends to be another floor of the hospital so people get off mm-hmm. so they can right. be eaten. Okay, of course. I mean, right, well, yeah. it's a superhuman hospital thing. Yeah. Uh, the baby ship, again, is covered in all sorts of infectious parasite nasty things, and, and our heroines are warned But that, by the way, it can replicate other life forms the way you know white blood cells understand what to attach themselves to. So they discover these creatures are running around pretending to be them, which isn't so good because they're, they're creepy, gross-looking ones with giant mise of teeth trying to look like empowered and she's oh great i don't have enough body issues that looking at some giant parasite trying <laughs> to look at me you have a bigger butt than i do <laughs> just hysterically funny and then you end up touching because the parasite is just a mom too mm-hmm. we'll just leave it at that <laughs> it isn't this is not as crazy touching as nine beers was that really was a really separate kind of book most of these specials have been one-shot funny things and his main trade paperbacks have been where all the heavy stuff happens. This is more back to that aspect of it. Think Fantastic Voyage or the Avengers 93 where Hank Pym goes inside the vision, but the twisted, empowered version of it. But we do end on a, you know, it's the friendship note. The girls are great friends. Their relationship continues to be one of the best in comics. Despite the cheesecakey nature of this, it is never as lewd as looking at some of the things I'm always complaining about. <laughs> right. It just it's not they're not posed that way, they're not really drawn that way, mm-hmm. despite being ample. <laughs> but it is just a charming book with, with very relatable characters who seem like real human beings, even they're doing all this crazy stuff running around inside baby ships. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, because sure. I, I get confused by this with this book. So these specials come out, and they're what you like said, one-off kind of silly things, mm-hmm. and you're saying the kind of trades are where the, the deep stuff happens. Yeah. So is that how he released the book? It's it's like collected... They come at no single issue. Right, no single issue. So it's, it's it's like a full trade paperback, like a graphic novel. Right, 300 pages at a shot. Right. There's one due, I think it's July. How many times a year does the, does the book come out? <laughs> He's had a hand injury, Mr. Warren. Okay. So he's a little behind. It's two a year. Two a year. Kind of. Okay. I mean, that, I mean, yeah. for for a trade, that does that's pretty. Right. You know, like it's pretty much what it would be if somebody was doing six issues. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they also trade. put out two. They're up to eight. This would be number eight in the trades. They put out two giant omnibus volumes of the first six, three in each, mm. filled with extras. Gotcha. 
extra sketches, extra cool stuff, mm. script pages, all the rest of it. They're pricey. Right. They are pricey. Now, the other thing with Empowered is, as you can you can see here, Bobby, mm. and Steve knows, it is manga-sized. Right, They're smaller yeah. than regular comics. So now a book that is four, you know, in essence, mm. four trade paperbacks thick in a book yeah. bound, it's a little awkward to read. Right, yeah, yeah. If you put it in your lap, you're never going to have kids. <laughs> it, it could really be a problem, but they are worth buying. I would suggest, I don't know if these are... I, Comicsology? Is this a little adult uh, for Comicsology? No, it should be. I mean, I got to check. I got to check. But I, I, Although, I've let me say, realized. I do say this is adult. There is, there's nothing really adult in this. There is no cursing. Nope. There's plenty of cursing, but there's no cursing. Everything's got a giant black box across it, in the way that old stag movies had black tape across the actor's eyes, so you didn't know who they were. You know what the words are, but he doesn't feel he has to put in F and S and all the other. There, I wish they would do that either. with some of the X-Men titles. Yeah, they could feel a little bit better about things. And in, there's no nudity, nudity. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this is not for your 12 year old. <laughs> no, no, this is for 16 and up. These are sold. These singles aren't because they are less crazy. The trades are always sold sealed. Okay. You know, adult content. Dark Horse does a really great job with making sure, you know, the wrong people don't pick these up. But this is. This is a series I you know, I wrote when I originally reviewed the Animal Style special a year or so ago. I was at Icon, the last one they had, and I was walking through some uh, comic book mm. vendor's booth, and I, was just, I, I had picked up the thing, and it's just oh, mm. it's another one of these, and I'm always complaining. And a woman walked up to me. I'd seen her on a panel, and she wrote some little comic book, and I, I don't remember her name, <laughs> and I can't find her in the program book because I pulled it out before the show, and I can't find it. And she said, that is not what you think it is. You should really give that book a try because it's just great. It's funny and sexy and wonderful. And if you love superheroes, you'll love this. Okay, you know, it's sealed. I can't open it and look at it. Mm-hmm. Fine. And it was, I think it was half price. It was $8. Or something. You know, well, I wasted $8. I got it home and opened it up and I was instantly aggravated. <laughs> because it, it, I, I, this character began life as a series of commissioned fetish drawings by Adam Warren, and while he was drawing it, he felt badly for drawing them that way, and this started creating a backstory, and then a character, and a story, and friends, and all the rest of it, and she was absolutely right. Once I started reading through it, once I got about halfway through that first trade, it was, no, this is one of the best characters I've read in a long time. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So you you need to persevere through the first few as he finds his way, Right. and once he does, it's great. Now, Steve, I know you read it. What do you think? I want to be Uber Nurse Delta for Halloween. Okay. <laughs> Not Sierra. Um, yeah, no, I, it's funny. It's, this always happens. When you talk about a book, it not only does it, it bring things to light that perhaps I didn't see or, or notice, but you know, if somebody talks passionately about the book, you start to get excited for it and such. I read it. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I did. I enjoyed it. Did I enjoy it as much as Nine Beers with Ninjet? Not even close. Uh, but I picked it up because it's empowered. I love the character, uh, and I saw that it was very colorful, which is mm-hmm. not the norm for this. It's usually it's in black pencil, and white. Usually in pencils, yeah. right? So you know, and I I enjoyed multiple warheads. So that was something that got me onto the book. Um, I think it was a little bit too much of the of the silly and nonsensical, with not so much of the heart that the other books have had. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm I mean I appreciate him wanting to just go off and do something fun and do something maybe with friends and have a bit of variety. I definitely applaud the book for that. 
Um, but I think for, for me to get like full enjoyment out of the character, I think that the character is at its best when there's something kind of weighty uh, mm-hmm. learned by the end. And they, they did do a little bit of that. There was a little bit at the end, uh, a little bit of heart and a little bit of, you know, aha. But it the way that they delivered it, I was confused. And I read it a couple of times. And it was something to do with standing in front of the mirror. No, 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 no. It's oh, I don't. Even. Right, I'm not gonna we'll talk. We'll talk off air. There's a there's a, a character mentions a little earlier on. There's something told you the floor can fool mm. you. The elevator is not chronologically synch- synchronous. <laughs> they they've opened a floor on another time. Yes, yes, that's what I meant. And the two in the elevator are looking in the hallway, and there's only one of them. Yeah. That's their future, mm. or some future, and now one of them's gone. Mm-hmm. Right. That's some feels. Yeah, Come yeah. on. <laughs> Feel with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I just. I want to know. I, I want to know what the deal is with that. And I get that's the whole you know enticing you to, to yep. read more. Yeah. No. I definitely enjoyed it. I just nine beers with Ninja really, really got to me within the span of a few pages, mm-hmm. and just how varied it was. I mean. Each beer brought with it, you know, tears and laughs and, you know, fear and just that. I always have that image of Ninjette creeping around her house when she was young, trying to to get away from her father yeah. and keep away from her dad. And I remember that moment. That's like a comic book moment that will I will always remember that. Um, and I, I can't hold in power to that level every time. I just think coming off of that. Oh, absolutely. You know. I, I agree. Believe me, I, I said it even mm. leading off. The, the thing is that of these specials, that's the outlier. That's the mm. one that was different. Right. right. Where that's, you know, and he even mentions, when he actually has empowered mention because she's a fourth world breakiness kind of gal, mm-hmm. where oh, I, next issue won't be quite as dire as this one. There won't be as much death and destruction next time mm. around. At least I'm told that. She'll say to us in the right. audience. Wasn't there like a Doctor Who episode or maybe a Torchwood episode where there was like a space whale or something that Who. was hurt? That was Doctor Who? Yeah. Okay. It reminded me a little bit of that. Okay. There was a little bit of Doctor Who going on this week with Silver <laughs> with Surfer Netflix. and Empowered. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, obviously, a lot of people love that show, but there was a little bit of that going on with the mama ship and the, the baby ship thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think as a word, that's now one of my favorites. I mean, I've said mothership oh, for forget Parliament Funkadelic and how many old science fiction mm. movies. Never heard anyone refer to a baby ship before. Baby ship, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just nuts. So, so it, it, I, I looked it up by the way. Dark Horse is a weird thing because they don't put a lot of their books on Comixology. They're available on their own service mm-hmm. and their app. But all the empowered volumes seem to be there digitally. Cool. You get the first volume for ten bucks. Well, that's um, not bad. So ch- check that out if you want to check that out digitally. Uh, this is Empowered Internal Medicine, correct? Yes, yes it is. Um, it's special number six, right? Yep. Okay. Um, so, speaking of books that are ending, we mentioned at the top of the show, Avengers Assemble, number 25, uh, Kelly Sudeconic and Warren Ellis on writing duties. And Matteo Buffani. And Buffani. Uh, uh, writing. So, Bob, the series is over. The Curse of the Bob strikes again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did it wrap up, and how has this, this series worked as a whole for you? It ends very, very strongly in the way the series has been all the way through. Once this went, 
when Kelly Sue DeConnor took over, it became the book, the Avengers title that was most like the films mm-hmm. in terms of tone. You had this the whole Tony Stark tower thing, everyone meeting for coffee, the Hulk nonsense, going on missions that are just races to scientists that turn into real missions and important stuff. Introductions of teams of characters, so Carol and, and Spider-Woman, Jessica. Wonderful inner small moments of characters sitting around acting like human beings, which is really, really lovely. And here, over the last few issues, five issues, I guess, is it, Steve, with Anya Corazon? It's the last four or five issues. Yeah, it's a, this, is, this is the fifth Ellis one, I believe. Mm, yeah. Joined in. We get to see from the from an outsider's point of view who these Avengers people are. She's come to them for help because her science teacher has gotten cocooned in the midst of the aftermath of Infinity. And he's been taken by June Covington or Toxie Doxy, who's a crazy, real crazy mad scientist, mm-hmm. who's busy fighting with AIM and with them and blowing them up and doing all sorts of terrible things. She's saved her teacher, but there's still another one missing. And June has found a way. She's gotten some powers already. She's now invisible to technology, so she can't be tracked, can't be found. And she had, is it? I guess it's three missions, one with Wolverine, one with the, uh, the Spider-Girl trio where she, uh, Jessica, and the Black Widow, which was a whole lot of fun. And now she's going to lead a, an Avengers mission with everybody. It is... Every Avenger you've had in this mm-hmm. book. Yeah, it's all been up. leading to this. Right. And she's basically in charge. She and Cap are going to do this. And we have a new character, and she's great and a lot of fun. The book has strong characterization, good action sequences, tons of humor. June is going to blow up some stuff at, at AIM because why not? She's nuts and wants to steal what she wants and leave the rest of smoldering ruin. So she tells her minions, bleed out everything, steal the tech, Piss in, the, piss in the geraniums and poison the potted plants. Mama wants to send a message. <laughs> She's a crazy lady. And that sounds a little Warren Ellis to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should ask. We'll yeah. have to ask yeah. Kelly Sue who came up with that. It is a wonderful se- sequence. Lots of action again. But we do have a touching ending that I will not ruin. It's a quiet moment at the end where you... you you hear her realize whenever she needs help, the Avengers will be there for her. Mm-hmm. And to go with everything else, the book ends with a really lovely sort of knocked off poem. It's they have a it's Good Night Avengers instead of Good Night Moon. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she she does even apologize to Margaret Wise Brown who wrote Good Night Moon, but it's mm. Good Night Team Happy, Good Night Team Sad, Good Night Team Captains whose kale drinks taste bad. <laughs> and it just goes from there. Mm-hmm. Lovely book. Really sad this is gone. Uh, my new book, I guess, is Mighty Avengers. Right. Okay, yes. So, so there was something did replace it in mm. tone and tenor. Hmm. But I would love to have this continue Un- under these hands, certainly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So it's Avengers Assemble number 25 and another cursed book. <laughs> Bites well, to let me ask you. Um, sure. Obviously, you love the book. So this is not really not that question because the answer, if you go by that, is yes. Is there a place... For a book like this, kind of the the third f- or fourth Avengers title, you know, uh, it's, it, at least in marketing wise and kind of what people point to as importance wise when you talk to Marvel, you see anybody talking about these books. Is there a place for a book like this to exist where it's just a really solid book that tells fun stories but isn't really wrapped up in like any big machinations? There should be. 
Mm-hmm. Now, can there be, if they've already, again, Avengers World, mm-hmm. Secret Avengers, Uncanny Avengers, Right. is there finally the overkill we're talking about? Mm-hmm. You'd have to want to read a different kind of Avengers book to want this. Right. That said, I, I if I were had to choose, what could, if I had to keep this or regular Hickman Avengers, mm-hmm. I would rather read this. Mm-hmm. Um, new would be tougher for right. me. Right. But I would choose to have something different in tone than to read monolithically right. that. If you've got seven Avengers books, that's people not buying Silver Surfer and mm. Ghost Rider. So it, as sad as I am to lose this, is it better for the marketplace that there's one less Avengers book right. to make room for everything else that's more varied by it not being the Avengers? Even though this was a very varied title, mm-hmm. as Marvel tends to be. Yeah. The market might be better without it, right? As for health reasons, I think one of the reasons the thing, things about it too is that I, I don't know unless you went and looked at the book, like unless you opened the book up or you read previews, you wouldn't really know that it was something different, right? Because you because no, not from this cover, it's yeah, an, it's an Avengers cover, yeah, yeah. And marketing wise, comic book companies are horrible at that. We've talked about that mm-hmm. many many times. So you just see it's okay. I've got Avengers, New Avengers, Avengers World, Avengers Assemble, and it's Secret Avengers, Secret Avengers, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. And you're looking through, and you're like, okay, well, I've, or and Mighty Avengers, mm-hmm. and you're look, and you're like, okay, well, I can't tell like what I should yeah. get. You know, the ask comic book guy who works at the store, what's the Avengers book I should read? The guy's probably going to tell him Hickman's Avengers, absolutely, because it's the mainline Avengers book. And then you kind of just move on from there. So I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that the market is uh, getting a little saturated with these books, and where you can't tell what what is what. So mm-hmm. how are you going to know to pick up Avengers Assemble mm-hmm. unless you know Kelly Sue DeConnick? You know, th- then you're like, oh, she, she writes Captain Marvel. Maybe or she writes pretty deadly. Maybe I should pick up this book, but you know. Well, that's where the change became. It was Brian Michael Bendis before, yeah, and I was getting it, and mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a solid Avengers book. Mm-hmm. But so were all the other ones right. at the same time that he was writing. And he was writing all of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, th- but it was it was just another book. Yeah, exactly. And yes. it was very easily disposable. Mm-hmm. And when it changed, and it, it, the change came right after the movie. Yeah. And it, it was a leap to something completely different uh, stealing from Monty Python and it was just I probably would have dropped it mm-hmm. was, okay, look, I'll go buy something else I, it was part of the story for a while but then hadn't been right this book never really sold tremendously well right in the 30s mm-hmm. which for an Avengers book is not good yeah yeah, I mean, got the twenty five issues. It's a nice little run. It's two yeah. two plus year run. So, and as they said, it, its mandate was finished. I think it acted as a bridge between the movies right. and the comic books. So it did what it needed to do and moved on. Right. Yeah. I would look at it this way, and this is the way that I look at it. So, you have a book that you said you start. You really started to enjoy it when Kelly Sue came mm-hmm. on, right? Okay. I've read it. I read the whole thing. I read this issue. It was wonderful. The whole thing was wonderful. Better to have it be wonderful and be what it is and be this nice little slice of Avengers mm-hmm. and, you know, removed from all of that, like, ridiculous, epic, heavy-handed chaos that you can always go back to it and it ended really positively. Mm-hmm. So yes. to have it to have it be good all the way through rather than have them string it along and be among a sea of other books Absolutely. and to just fizzle out. I feel better now. It's like what we said about the movement, right? Yeah, yeah. Know, it's ending, but at least you have it to read and go back. Well, to. that's the thing when it's over and it's and it's actually out. You know, two years from now mm. in one in one or two collected <laughs> right, trades, yeah. you can hand it to somebody and be like, "You want like a different superhero team and from the DC verse? Check mm-hmm. this out. This is badass." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Though there so. was the crocodile issues 
There were, yes. <laughs> so so not exactly light and fun. You did. Google I did. I, that, I read those. You? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I read those issues too. I told her. I said. I, I tweeted her. I was like, I can. I can never take this back. I can never unsee what you've just forced me to see. <laughs> so don't do. The, please, people, don't go. Now that I've said, it, of course, people now go. What is this? It's a real, uh, very cheap version of heroin that Russian teenagers are cooking up in their backyard, and it basically rots your skin off. Yeah, it was one of the issues of uh, yeah, Avengers Assemble. With, with a black widow, and they went to and, and Clint, they went to Russia. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a real drug crocodile. Yeah, you can Google it. Don't Google don't it. Don't Google it. Don't don't look at the YouTube videos. I'm serious. Don't do it. You'll be sick. You're Have gonna really the... you're gonna really want to do it now, <laughs> but because we're because we keep telling you not to do it. <laughs> But I'm telling you, don't do it. I don't know, man. I've seen some nasty. Oh, uh, not like this. It is really bad. There's been a lot of like snake bite photos going around lately. I mean, I'm just telling you, like this stuff is like ridiculous. Have you seen the Rat King? Yeah, I've seen the Rat King. Google Rat King, people. <laughs> don't do it. Google Rat King. Don't, no, don't do, don't do it. <laughs> or, or brown recluse spider bites or whatever. Yeah. It is that plus. Yeah. You see the spiders they have in Australia? It's crazy. Australia is a lawless uh, oh jungle. They're in the death. toilet, man. Yeah, yeah. They're in the toilet. <laughs> toilet spiders. They're going to bite your ass. <laughs> um, all right. So Avengers Assemble. Oh, down there. Number 25, the last issue. Yeah. Um, and Empowered Special Number 6, Internal Medicine. All right. So wrap this up with me. So finally, like six years later, um, <laughs> uh, the Sandman Overture Number 2. What? Came out. Neil Gaiman and J.H. Williams the third and when you read it you can absolutely see why the book may have been delayed it is one of the most intricately plotted and visually created books i've ever seen in my life i mean there is so much going on in every single crack and crevice of this book um i'm not gonna lie to you and tell you that i understood everything that was going on because that that would be a flat out lie it was one of those things where I felt like I didn't know I, I I had no idea, but it was almost like I was looking through like a fogged up window. I could tell there was like stuff going on. I could see shapes moving. I I could make out the action, but if you asked me for exact details, I really couldn't give them to you. No. I was reading it on Sunday, and um, you know, Karen was sitting on the couch like looking at her iPad, and I'm like leaning over, like staring at the book, like my face is almost like buried in the book. And, I, and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, this is really intense. I'm having to focus really, really hard to try to understand what's happening here. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I made a ch- I, and also, I didn't go back and read the first issue because I was like, you know what? I'm going to see just as a kind of experiment. It's been so long. Like, not everyone's going back and read the first issue. What's the experience going to be like just going back and going to issue two? That was a mistake. I tried that. You know? <laughs> And like I, I, I vaguely remember what happened at the end of one, like that he was gonna gonna go on a mission, and you got the you got the inklings of the people that were gonna kind of capture him were starting to come together, um, and so when I opened this one up, first of all I was completely confused because they they totally go away from that yeah. completely, yeah, um, but because I hadn't read the first one in a while. I, my brain wasn't clear on the visual depiction of Dream, so when it was another visual, I was like, oh, this is what he looks like. And then I got, then I was really, I was behind eight ball already, <laughs> because if people haven't read the book, and I'm not gonna spoil anything big, and there's not a lot to spoil here, it's it's mainly a book about ideas, mm-hmm. Sandman Overture number two, but it plays with the ideas of multiple multiple identities and the way that over the years, Dream, because he's a god and because he's a creature, uh, you know, of the the ephemera, he changes with what what people perceive him to be, and he's different things to different people and to different species. So there's like a cat version uh, uh, of Dream, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and that the scene 
all this stuff is it's it's completely it's so dense. It's completely dense and sometimes very hard to parse what's going on and what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're talking about very very big esoteric things and you know going on basically they're talking about going basically on a crusade on a, on on a on a mission where they talk about it in such literary and and very otherworldly terms that it feels like they're just talking about philosophy for for most of the book. Uh it's still a gorgeous gorgeous thing to behold. I mean it's it's stunning to look at. And by the end of the story I will say that because of the way that it ends, it definitely informed to me what happened before. The ending is a lot clearer I think than what happens in the in the preceding 28 pages or whatever there is. Um it, you know, there's a lot of characters, a lot of stuff going on, some beautiful, beautiful images. Obviously, some sort of um, nemesis for Dream that that that, that pops up. Uh, just some astounding pages and panel layouts, and uh, you know, it's it's tough to talk about the book because it's not, you know, there's plot going on, but the plot really isn't. I think the central thing that we got here. Uh, Bob, you've been shaking your head while I've been talking That's, about it. It is one of the most stunningly beautiful things I've ever mm-hmm. read. Mm-hmm. It is hard to read. Without being either slightly asleep yourself or a little drunk, <laughs> because you 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 do have to focus, but I think you need to be a little relaxed right. to let it to soak in. If you, yeah, what what does this mean? Mm. Because the first time I read it, I did that. I went yeah. in cold and got nothing. Mm. Went back, reread the first issue, read it again. Didn't get much more either. <laughs> so I'm I'm into about the third go round of this. The stunningness of the art now is uh, I, I wasn't looking at it I'm right. now trying to focus on what's happening the idea of all these I'm very new to Sandman yeah. you got me one for this I'm just right. about to start it to try to catch up seven or eight of them standing around one's a robot and yeah. one's a cat and <laughs> yeah. what is what is happening here one's just like a giant like vagina eye <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think we're, we're getting into some... Uh, Mr. Gaiman is a fan of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm. We're, we're in the midst of some of that going on here. So now we're into other layers of reality beyond the 14 of them we just read mm. on this game board of a, of a piece of ruby quartz or whatever yeah. this is. Yeah. It, it's, it's the screwiest board game mm. of all time. And I don't know what I'm, pieces I'm supposed to be playing with. Right. I was not going to buy this, mm-hmm. quite frankly. I was going to wait for the trade. And I, I, I saw it in the store, and I, I said to Frank, you have extras? He went, yeah, I'm not selling a whole lot of these because people, fi- frankly, pulled away mm-hmm. when there was so many months in between. I just want to applaud, certainly, J.H. Williams, Neil Gaiman, Vertigo, DC, yeah. for taking the time to put out something this gorgeous and allowing it to have the time to, to gestate into this. This yeah. is just stunning, so... Kudos to everyone at Vertigo and DC for this, and I'll support mm. this if it comes out. I don't care how late. And I'll yeah. buy it one at a time <laughs> yeah. and buy it again in a trade. Yeah, I'm going to need to buy in a trade to understand what happened. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one of the answers will come. I they think will. at the end of each and reflect yeah. backwards into it. Absolutely. One of the things you said is, I think, is what speaks to how great this book is. As you said, you're on your third read through of the book. Mm-hmm. That's the first week it's come out. This is a book that you can revisit. You can get things out of every yes. time you read it. It's, like I said, huge ideas. And I think you're absolutely right when you said you have to relax about it because it's it's written and depicted like a dream, you know. Mm, so I think yeah. trying to, I think trying to connect every dot exactly and and find the liter the literal interpretation mm. of everything that's being said can lead you down a road where you'll be disappointed because I don't think it's all there. I think some of it is meant to be. Defeat, make you feel uncomfortable and make you feel out of place because that's what happens when you're dreaming. Steve, did you get a chance to read it? 
I read it's I did the read the first issue again mm. and I read the first issue ran out of time got out about <laughs> uh halfway I guess through the second issue before I had to stop and it's funny because I you were mentioning it before but I kind of felt like uh Wayne Campbell from Wayne's World reading the record contract or whatever the contract yeah, was where yeah. he's like I'm reading through it and I'm like mm-hmm uh-huh ah I like what you've done here okay but then I'm like wait what <laughs> yeah and I it's one of those few things that I don't mind reading it over again because mm-hmm. I really Neil Gaiman is one of my absolute favorite literary anythings you know, since I've been alive, he's just a major inspiration uh, to me. And the art is just, it's the its the best art that I've seen in comics mm-hmm. since we started doing this. And yeah. I love a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff. But I mean, as far as craftsmanship and as far as time and detail, and I mean, this is, this is like Alex Ross reborn into just but being approached in there's so many different levels to the art it's not just one style it's all styles no it's, it's tenniel who did the lewis carroll yeah alice in wonderlands there's yeah. windsor mckay in mm-hmm. some of these pages there's yeah the history of illustrated comics yeah. and novels within this book i'm looking at a page here that in some ways looks like a woodcut from the 1890s right but yeah. the border it's blood vessels and kidneys. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Um, but it yeah, works. Yeah. And it, it's part of the storytelling. Yeah. yeah. It's the borders. Well, one of the things that I like the most about the second issue is that it kind of got rid of that I need to read everything else before I continue to read this. Like we said, you know, oh, it's, it got delayed for two to three months. That's plenty of time to go back and read all of the Sandman yeah. and come back to this and blah, blah, blah. Um I no longer feel like I have to do that. I feel like after the second issue, even getting only partway through it, that what's happening in this story, like this is that story. I It would be nice if I knew the other stuff, but I don't have to. I no longer feel that. I mean, I still feel compulsed to go and read it because I just, I want more of it. But at the same time, I don't feel it's necessary. And now that that weight has been lifted, I've been finding that I can enjoy it more mm-hmm. and enjoy it for what it is. Uh, and I just I love that it goes to places that a lot of comic books don't bother to go in its ideas and its presentation. It's things that it makes you think about, right. you know. And I love the idea that it's presented almost like like a like a continuous dream. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my only things, though, and this is just me having to read it again. This is not a fault of the book whatsoever. Um, I get. I get really I get confused as to who is who sometimes in regard to the Corinthian and Dream, like the two flowers in the beginning mm-hmm. and of, of the first issue, and just trying to discern because they come in many forms. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they're not they're not whole at all. They're like they're they're something on a wall, or they're a shadow, or they're something you know in a mirror's image. They're like a little flicker in the mirror. And you have you have to catch all those things to to realize that they're they're watching each other. Yeah, you know when Sandman when Dream comes and says, "Listen, I don't I gotta like you know I got a thing I gotta yeah. go and do, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. when I come back, you're uh, you're kind of dead. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. unmake you. Yeah, I would do it right now, but like I said, I'm already late. But um, you know, just 
just wait right here. I'll be back. You're right. And oh god, it it's so like you said, it's mm-hmm. so dense. Yeah. But it's incredibly dense. The the pairing of I mean we we've been talking a lot about comic book pairings uh, the last couple of episodes of talking mm. comics, and this is another one. You know the 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 Joe Hill and um, Gabriel Rodriguez pairing, and just these two. What a match made in heaven yeah i hate to be cliche about it but yeah. seriously no it, it's true it's absolutely true i mean you mentioned the art styles there's a lot there's you know definitely also some like bill sinkevich yep. in there dave mckean type looks to Salvador it Salvador well. dolly yeah absolutely there's just so <laughs> no. much uh going on and it's an orgy of creativity it is it's amazing and it, it goes from the, these like hyper realistic almost like photographic faces to this more mm-hmm. kind of like imp- impressionist Stuff it's it, it's it's crazy. You it's, hear the Alex Ross pages? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's crazy. You know, it's crazy. It's just crazy how much there is in there and, and the varying styles. And it really is a really high bar and, and a high level of craftsmanship and artistry. Um, I still feel bad about Batwoman, but if this is what we get, right, <laughs> yeah. because of it, yeah. How long is this again supposed to be? I don't think Emery said five issues. I think that's it. Six issues. Yeah, it's short. Oh, yeah. yeah. It'll be finished around the same time as Alex and Ada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe maybe, maybe maybe so that's sandman overture number two but we love, but we love you sandman definitely yes. check that out yeah absolutely um and so wrapping up my books of the week i know it's tough to follow sandman but because of the because of my uh the the, the low bar of my understanding of that book i couldn't make it my book of the week <laughs> uh, even though it was, it was pretty amazing why'd you like it uh, i don't know don't know it was really pretty i'll tell you later yeah uh I want to talk about all new Ghost Rider number uh-huh. one, uh, Felipe Smith and Trad Moore, mm-hmm. Val Staples uh, as the colorist. I have never, I've always thought it looked cool, right? Ghost Rider is a very cool look. It's a super iconic. I've never really read anything that I've fallen in love with, and that's not to say there isn't stuff out there. It's just I've never discovered it. So the character to me was always kind of a uh, an aesthetic joy, but never something I was I was invested in. And when they announced this book, I still was like, that's cool. Like, you know, Tradmore, I like Luther Strode. So that's something that I think will probably look pretty cool. I don't know who Felipe Smith is. So we'll have to see what happens when it comes out. I don't know if I'm going to be into it. And as we got closer and I was seeing pages from it, I was starting to get more and more excited. You know, especially just about the look above anything else. Uh, you know, it just, it just felt like something different, something fresh, something energetic that, you know, you weren't seeing in a lot of other books, the, the exact particulars of Tradmore's kind of art style, art style, you know, and so I decided to pick it up and there are a few things about it that I think really, really work well. I love they change it to a car. I think it's a cool idea. I mean, it's been a horse oh. before, so it, it, it always has to be yeah. a motorcycle. I, I think that idea that just visually that, that that's cool. You can, you can, you can change up the way it looks. And, and I think like the whole kind of like Dia de las Mortes look they have for the new character think is also really fresh and interesting these are all things that you know, you could have just done the regular flaming skull and it probably would have looked awesome you know but they decided to go a little bit further with it redesign it change it and i think i'm not sure i think it was it was the editor in the back said if i was gonna do a ghostwriter book it had to be something different because like i wasn't yeah. just gonna do i i you know there's something wrong with um you know um danny catch or johnny blaze mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with them but it's just not what i have in my in my spirit so i, I couldn't do it Ghost Rider is a perfect character to reinvent because he can be multiple people because he's it's a it's a it's a spirit it's not a mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a person and Marvel has again taken the opportunity here to diversify their hero lineup 
Uh, Robbie Reyes is obviously, you can tell, is a Latin American uh, protagonist. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that idea is also, it, it's, it's visually more interesting. It's not just another white dude to look at. Um, you know, and it allows yo, yo. for different problems. And I think where the book, uh, there's two things where the book re- really shines. One of which is the personal story, I think, of Robbie Reyes. I think deciding to make him a young kid who comes from a bad neighborhood who is trying to get out in an honest way and help his brother, who is obviously, he's got some sort of issue, either whether it's a mental issue, a physical issue, mm-hmm. a little bit of both. He, you know, he, he's not all, he's not all there and he gets teased and he gets bothered and Robbie feels like he has to help him, and he's working really, really hard to try to get him out. Um, and that idea, that peer pressure around him, that idea that you want to be better than your surroundings, I think is really awesome. Uh, and I think that when he makes the mistake that he makes in the book, which kind of leads to him becoming Ghost Rider, I really felt for that mistake. When, when, when like, uh, the police searchlights hit him, I was like, oh no. Yeah. You know, I felt really bad for him and I only I only been with him you no know, twenty pages at that point. Yeah. Or whatever it was. <clears throat> so it's a big success by Felipe Smith in, in that way, getting me to care about this character almost immediately. I think the, the, the drawback to it is I don't there's still a lot of supporting work to be done here. There's not a lot of there's not any other characters around him that I think fill out his oh. universe very well. You know, I think that it, there's a lot of kind of stereotypes and i don't mean that as like you know in, in a racial way just in like these are kind of placeholders for characters who do things that a lot of their characters have done we've got to see sure. what happens to them he spent the mo- he spent the whole issue dealing with robbie basically so that makes sense um <clears throat> the, the biggest thing about the book is the thing i was looking forward to the most in the first place is the art by, by tradmore the art is absolutely unbelievably gorgeous you know it's like th- throwing a firecracker into you know <laughs> into, into a into a superhero book you know, it, it's it's got this. It's so cartoony at times that it delivers the the the, the gritty part of the message almost better than if it was super realistic. You know, yeah. it's just like in Luther Strode, yeah. where there are these amazingly disgusting thing happening in Luther Strode, but it's it's done in such as like this like fun looking <laughs> art style that you know it's almost more disturbing because you, 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 it's that you know visual dissonance you've got in your head. Uh, so you know, there's a there's a big car chase scene near the end, which is just. Um, Amazing, like the the the, wow. the sense of speed and the the colors are just popping, and you know it almost looks like Speed Racer, you know, at, at times in, in the scenes, yeah. with, you know, with the, the skyline going by, and and you know just great panel layouts, and you know the facial expressions are are so absolutely, uh, uh, you know, they're so they they're so evocative of, yeah. of the emotions that he's going for, um, you know, just beautiful beautiful book to look at, and there's this one panel that I just opened to where he's with his little brother. And he said this horrible shitty day. He's got beaten up. You know, he he's he doesn't, you know, he wants to get out of this neighborhood. He, he hates his life. And his brother starts acting silly, you know, gets so excited about the serial and reading this comic book that, you know, he just can't help but just be you can you can see the love all over his face. Yeah. You know, we're like this is why I do it kind of kind of thing. Um I think the book still has a a ways to go to be a great book, but I think it's a very good first issue and a great first take on a new version of, of this character uh steve what did you think of all new ghost rider oh man i don't know what to add you said everything <laughs> i know you love trad more yes i do yeah yes i do i think he's a very very talented artist and i'm happy to see him on this book um mm-hmm. i'm happy that more people are going to be exposed to his stuff perhaps people that uh thought that luther strode was a little too ridiculous or a little too violent or a little too whatever 
for mm. for their taste that they didn't bother to give it a shot. Um, I highly recommend it, by the way. But um, yeah, like super super fun, like super kinetic, like just the car chases were fast and the furious on the page. Yeah, they were. You yes, know? they absolutely were. Uh, the colors also, mm. uh, Val Staples did the colors. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful job with the colors. Uh, really liked the diversity. Loved the relationship between uh, the two brothers. I have a, a friend whose brother, his name was Mickey, who very, very much reminded me of, uh, was that um, Robbie's the older brother? Who, yeah. Do we have a name for Yeah, we, we do. I don't remember his name right now. I'll look, I'll look it up while you're talking. Um, but the little brother reminds me a lot of Mickey. Mickey was wheelchair bound, um, had, you know, understanding of the, the workings of the world around him, but was very innocent, got very excited about things, got very upset about some things too. But just when I discovered that that's what the character's, uh, you know, lot in life was, I immediately had somebody that I could refer to and place them in that, in, in the book. And it just, it pulled me in personally to that character a little bit more. And when I saw how much Robbie cared for him and how much he, you know, tolerated their situation. He wanted better for them and all of that stuff. Um, it had those emotional beats that, you know, show you the heart of a character. Mm-hmm. And even though he might be a little reckless in his ideas for the future, he's he's doing it for the right reasons and he's, his heart's in a good place. Unfortunately, the place that he's in isn't the right one. Yeah. Um, but I've never read anything Ghost Rider ever. He's never even appeared in a book that I've read. Like this is my first, my first experience with ghost rider was that shitty, uh, Nicholas cage movie. Right. Yeah. And then the, even the, the actually was it first sh- one's not as bad as you remember. The second one, is, I understand. I watched the first one recently. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Yeah. It's not horrible. Yeah. It's not good. Um, it has moments. Peter, Peter Fonda, Fonda is awesome in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, but the, the black heart stuff, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's one of those times where they were not getting characters, right. It was back by, yeah, yeah back it was, day. it yeah. was to, to be fair. It, it yeah. really, it was. Um, but yeah, love the new look. I love that, uh, that, that comic that came out from Raleigh Rosmo, not too far back, Dila de los Muertos. Yeah. And I just, I've always been fascinated by that art style and, and everything that's associated with those events that go on and mm. the masquerading and, and the parades in the streets and just the, the skulls. And even when people get tattoos, my, my friend Christy has an Iron Man mask done Dea de los Muertos style oh, tattooed cool. on her leg. It is one of the coolest tattoos mm. I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally on for this. Uh, I mean, I was excited about this for a while now and it finally came out and I mean, it feels like a kind of like a, a pre credits sequence, mm-hmm. like right at the end, you know, the flaming letters come in, Ghost Rider. So, yeah, I'm very curious to find out what happens once uh, Robbie has the wherewithal to return home. Yeah. And uh, definitely cool that the the Ghost Rider isn't, like you said, it's not just one person, that it's a spirit. It's the, the spirit of vengeance. Yeah. And I like that. I like that almost you know, hellish paranormal vibe. It, it sets it apart from some of the other superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what I'm curious about the end is there's a, you know, he obviously, he, this is not a big spoiler because it's the first issue, but it, and it's, he becomes, he is ghostwriter at the end. 
I, they leave it open. I'm not sure if this means that he's been Ghost Rider before this first issue started, or that's how he became Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Because it's like it's very because he doesn't seem like at this point like he would be the person they picked to be the spirit of vengeance. He doesn't seem very vengeful, you know. So we'll have to see as we as we go along. Well, there's one panel that that it's funny that you mentioned that because I was wondering that as well. There's one panel where he's getting ready for for a race, mm. and he's putting his helmet on, and in the reflection of the window, the flames are already attached. Uh, okay. I don't know if that's you know, like a, a dramatic foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Yeah. Dramatic foreshadowing. You know, like ooh, it's coming. Yeah. Or if it was, you know, it's within him, and you just you screwed with the wrong, you know, illegal yeah. street racer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's Ghost Rider number one. Also did Sandman Overture number two. Uh, we're gonna take a little break, and we're gonna come right back with our history of Captain America. Right, we are back, and we've been joined by Mr. Joey Braccino. Joey, thank Hello. you so much. How's it going? It's going great, man. It's going great. So, very quickly, what was your book of the week? Oh, my goodness. So, here's the thing. I was doing um, Footloose with my high school. Mm-hmm. I was doing with the, the, the drama club with the kids, and uh, I went into the comic shop for the first time last week, and I had about, like, 50 books from the <laughs> month that I was working on Footloose that like I read. So I don't even know if the books that I've been reading, how long they've been on the stands. I don't know what was new last week and what wasn't. Um, it's all right. Just what was your favorite thing you read last week? Okay, if I had to pick a standout, yes. I think I think that, um, and I wrote the review for it on the, for the site last week, I'm, I'm much more pleased with how Peter David's X-Factor, all new X-Factor's, uh, coming together. Really? The really? last couple of issues. You are the outlier, sir. Really? <laughs> I'm, perhaps I was just so disappointed with the first couple, and then I felt like the lat, l- like four and five were good. Because I read four and five back to back because mm-hmm. I'd missed a month of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, th- I felt that they had gotten better. I don't think we're at, you know, Madrix and Investigations no. level yet, but at least I had a, a good time reading issue five. <laughs> um, I, and the, and yeah. the Wolverine and the X-Men finale, Ooh. which I also read for the first time last week, which I thought was very, very good as well. Awesome. Hmm. Awesome. All right. So let's move on from those books. We'll talk, do our history of Captain America. If you guys heard uh, our Fantastic Four one or our Batman one, it's going to go similarly here. Uh, Bob is obviously our resident historian. He's got books in front of him. He's Captain America is one of his favorite characters of all time, probably right behind the Fantastic Four, am I going to guess? He is my number two character of all time. Okay, number two character of all time. So we're going to talk about, obviously, the history of the character and where he came from. We're also going to get into you know, what the character means in, in, in relation to the country and what patriotism means and all these other things. So, But let's start out at, at, at the beginning here. Um, we're talking about the, the 40s. Here, 1941. 1941. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. How this came about is still in dispute, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Simon, I'm not going to say Simon Says. <laughs> I promised myself before I came on, I was going to do it. I nearly Do it, did. You already, you already did it. Okay. You said Simon it. Says. There you go. That he, well, he and his partner, Jack Kirby, and they were in their 20s at this point. Joe Simon just passed away 94 years old or whatever right. it was. 
they were already packaging comics for publishers. And so what they did, they had a studio, they had inkers and other artists. And Mr. Simon says that they came to Martin Goodman with a character they'd already come up with called, I believe it was the Super American. Yeah, I read that. Uh, I read that okay. when I was doing research on right. it. Yeah. yeah, and they were going to just sell that to Martin Goodman, who Stan's uncle, at the, mm. who, who ran Timely. The other story is that Martin Goodman went to them because there was a character called The Shield over at Archie Comics and went, we need one of those. We need a patriotic superhero. You guys are good. Go get me one of those. <laughs> now, that makes a lot of sense because what Martin Goodman was was a businessman and not a creative person. He followed trends. If there was something, he did one of those. When there were superheroes over at National... He went to Carl Burgos and Bill Everett, give me some superheroes. So Human Torch and Submariner and Marvel Comics number one. When it was Westerns, he, he did Westerns. When it was team books, it was the only one he fouled up on. He didn't put his heroes together in a team until after World War II was over. Mm-hmm. When we had the all-winner squad. So Simon and Kirby came up with Captain America. And on the cover of the first issue, he's punching Hitler in the face. If anyone's seen the <laughs> first movie... the. After his Radio City Music Hall appearance, their kids buying comic books outside, it's Captain America number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. was June of 1941. We weren't at war yet. There were problems with this. There were some folks not so happy that we were isolationist. Yeah, I had read that, right? That he, uh, he basically said that there, I'm paraphrasing him here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that there were a lot of, all the anti-war people were very well organized and we wanted to have a say as well. Because yeah. they felt, because they were morally repulsed by the war, and mm-hmm. they wanted, they wanted to, you know, mark pick their stamp. You know, it's a very different world back then, right? Where, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of anti-war people. Now, obviously, it's it, that's similar, but you know, the character when he's created, patriotism is, you know, at its kind of height because we're going into a very just war. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that war hadn't begun in the same way, right? For, right of course, for the entire. Uh, this sounds awful to say it this way. The comic book industry was centered in New York. It was very, very New York Jewish centric. Mm-hmm. A lot of Jewish right. creators, and to, to to liberal Jewish folks, the war was a very real thing. As they were hearing from relatives, my relatives were on the other side of that divide, being from Germany and mm. over. My uncle came, great uncle came back from Europe in the early '30s and went, "There's going to be a war." Mm-hmm. Under every hay bale in Germany are guns and weapons that they're not supposed to have. They're getting ready mm-hmm. again. Right, and the word was spreading. We were like, we got to do something. World War One didn't go so well for us. It didn't do mm-hmm. much for us, or we lost a lot of people and d- didn't accomplish very much. Really, we helped, I guess. Yeah. So the people who wanted to know this, we have to put ourselves back together. The depression was still mm-hmm. going on, and right. So we we had backed away, and so those people were right in their own way. Here on Long Island, we. A lot of people don't know this. We are sitting in in Bobby's apartment here, mm-hmm. and this is Medford. About four miles away is a town called Yapank. And in the mm-hmm. middle 30s in Yapank, that was the headquarters of the German Bund. Mm-hmm. They held firelight torch meetings, not a stone's throw from here. And the original tax maps in that town, it's Hitler Boulevard and Himmler Avenue. It is... Yeah. We were... The, crazy. The, the reason four spies came up on, in a submarine on Long Island is they thought they were going to get help from Long Islanders mm-hmm. to blow up dams in New York. Right. You yes, mentioned Yapank and uh, the Germans. My sister lives in a German community. Um, you know, there's about 25 houses within mm-hmm. the community. It has its own entrance, so on and so forth. Her house, even though they've renovated and they've done, you know, remodelings and everything, 
has uh, three fallout shelters attached to it. Her her backyard is multi-tiered. It's there's three levels to it, and in the lowest level or each level rather, there is some kind of an in-ground fallout shelter. Wow. Even her pantry looks like you could be safe from bombs going off inside oh, wow. of it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, crazy. So it's crazy, you know, talk, you get, it's good sense. You get a good sense of what the world was like at that point. Um, yeah, and so so the, this cover comes out, he's punching Hitler in the face. Mm-hmm. There's like a kind of a, a somewhat negative reaction to it, and wh- how weird we go from there. Well, instantly it was a big hit. Mm-hmm. It sold millions of copies a month right. and started a trend, which Goodman didn't do much of, of patriotic heroes everywhere there were and he had his own the spirit mm. of 76 and all sorts of things started happening it was a very big hit. Now simon and kirby only stayed for 10 issues they went they went over to national and did sandman and the guardian and a whole bunch of other things the art style in this jack kirby was he had done some work at that point he changed comic books as he did every other time through it is he has an anatomy like nobody else's mm-hmm. his characters are out of the panels, he punches someone, they fall from one panel to the next. Right, yeah. This is just not what was done. This is not what Alex Raymond's Flash Gordon looked like, even though Kirby mm-hmm. loved Raymond, everyone did, and Hal Foster. This this was the creation of what comic book art would become. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. as much as Joe Schuster and Jerry Robinson, I start to say Bob Kane, since he never <laughs> yeah. drew anything, I'm not going to use his name. <laughs> Jack Kirby is comic books. Right. Uh, more than more than almost anyone else, and that's uh, this is where it begins. Right, Joey. I know that you were working on a one of your panel reviews uh, yeah. for, for us, and you're doing Captain America comics number Ooh, one. Cool, can't yeah. wait. Um, do you have anything to add? No, definitely. And the the, the discussion of of Kirby's art style uh, is totally um, accurate. There, the way that he draws these figures is just so like modern. It's just so yeah. ridiculous how many kind of styles he's blending. The way he portrays the Nazi characters with the kind of apish, you know, features and the the helmets pulled over the eyes, so their shadows is so different than the kind of realistic, kind of dashing manner that he illustrates Cap. You know, mm-hmm. and then even the way he illustrates Bucky is so different. And Bucky looks like this adorable little eight-year-old. But then you put all three of those different kind of styles together, and it's just a very kind of dynamic piece. And as Bob mentioned, with the crossing of the panels, it was just—it's just such a modern feel to a book that is, you know, cover dated 1941. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, obviously we have nicer digital tools now, but this is the kind of you know, experimentation with the form that we kind of want to see in our books today. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very ahead of its time, and I think that's part of the reason why it was so successful. In addition to the very obvious sort of propaganda that appears throughout the cover and throughout the first eight or ten pages of it, um, yeah, no no wonder it was so successful. Yeah, uh, and with, uh, Bob has a book with him right now. It's a obviously a collected volume, a, re- a reprint of the book. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, you know the colors are alive on those pages. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if people are looking to check these out. These look like beautiful it's, editions. Yeah, it's to check. Captain America: The Classic Years. I don't know if this is still in print. Mm. It, they're sort of slightly oversized masterworks, but really lovely paper. And yeah. This, 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 yeah, this is gorgeous. It's yeah. about seventy-five bucks at the time, but gotcha. they are reprinting these in trade paperbacks now. Mm-hmm. They are in sort of regular archives, but I had to have this one. It's gorgeous. I mean, it, it look, you opened it up, and I immediately yeah. when you opened it up, I could see kind of the way it, the way it popped. Um, so as you're saying, they, they started a trend of patriotic superheroes, and but they only did ten issues of the book. What happened to the book after 
uh, Simon and Kirby left. After that, you had people like Al Evanson, Sid Shores, who were doing inking and doing some of the backup stories. You got to remember, a comic book that was 64 pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kirby would do two or three stories, do a splash, make sure he did the cover. He wasn't doing all of it. They were farming out some of the work early on because that's a lot of pages to yeah. get out every month. And he was doing two or three other books. Yeah. Remember, I forget who I wrote this to. Uh, we were discussing how books are late now, mm. and they were late through the 70s, too. People, These guys were doing page after page after mm. page and cranking these books out. There's a, there's a famous story. It's Marvel Mystery 9, where they have the Human Torch and the Submariner fight with each other. And Martin Goodman had said, well, on a Thursday, can you get me this book by Monday? <laughs> <laughs> and what they did is Burgos and Everett got everyone they knew in the comic business and rented a, a, a hotel room and sat around. And well, you draw this page and you ink that one and they'll give it back to you and you can put letters on it. And they did it. Mm-hmm. They did 64 pages with lots of beer and pizza and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they got it done. The book continued to sell really well. It, where it really began to struggle was after the war. Right. Mm. Without a Captain America needed an adversary. As many times as he fought the Red Skull and all the other things, he the sort of supervillains. It was about beating up Nazis and spies and femme fatales and the rest of it. You know, twisted mad scientists and dwarves and whatever in castles. He was not made to fight bank robbers. Mm. And post-war, it began to really, really drift. It eventually became Captain America's Weird Tales, and he was on the cover uh, telling horror stories. He'd had a partner for a while named Sun Girl, which didn't work very well. They, they sort of ditched Bucky for a while. Uh, Martin Goodman did start his superhero team, the All Winners Squad, which lasted two issues. Two, two. If if you look in the price guide, you'll see that there it's issues nineteen and twenty one. There isn't an issue twenty. It's those two. That's the torch neighbor, Bucky, Toro, mm-hmm. Miss America, and the Wizard. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that it's was a great name. Like, it's a great name. <laughs> he gets his power from mongoose blood. Of course he does. Of course you do. Of course you do. So <laughs> Captain America gets canceled in 1949 mm-hmm. after 76 issues. It's just gone. Uh, Stan was now running what was now uh, Atlas Comics. He had actually, his first comics work is in Captain America 3. It's a text piece. I read that when I was looking up, and, he, and that was the first issue where Cap had a round shield. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, right. he starts with the triangular one. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really interesting, everyone drew this shield differently, Jack included. How many stripes, what colors they are, it's always different. It looks so weird. Yeah. Now they're, they're going to be very careful about it. Yeah. But he's, he was recognizably Captain America, even with the other shield. Now, what's interesting that Stan did, Superman, the television show, was very popular, uh, Right out of the box. Anyone, if you've ever seen Hollywoodland, hmm? the Fleischer ones. No, the George Reeves TV show. The oh. Fleischer cartoons are actually before Captain America. They're 1940. So it was. Yeah. <laughs> in 1953, Stan comes up with the idea and and talks to his uncle Martin. Hey, the Superman thing on television is superheroes are big again. You know, I know Doctor Wortham and he ruined everything, but DC is still publishing Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. We have characters. Why don't we try superheroes again? So three years before DC would bring back the Flash and, in essence, start the Silver Age, Stan tried. Mm-hmm. And it's Young Men number 24. It's 1953. And he got called Burgos. With a name like that, why wouldn't it sell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, this about? In 1953, you couldn't on a cover. You remember in the late 50s, all of Marvel's books were Tales of Suspense and mm-hmm. Tales to Astonish. 
post-Wortham, in the midst of all that, you didn't want a book that said terror, action, you right. and you couldn't say horror or mm. crime or anything else. So he's got Carl Burgos to come back and do the Human Torch. Bill Everett's Submariner. Let me just say, we're doing cap here. People read Golden Age, Bill Everett, Submariner, because it is some of the most incredible artwork and stories. And he is he is before Aquaman. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> in this book is Captain America. And for yeah. those of us who, if you're going to listen to, there's Captain America, Back from the Dead, <laughs> by John Romita Sr. Oh, wow. In wow. 1953. Uh, we will be talking to Steve Englehart, and in a lovely piece of serendipity, as we discovered before we interviewed him, one of the storylines they're talking about for the next movie is the Cap of the 50s, who was introduced yeah. <laughs> in Young Men 24. Okay. Oh. Mm. <laughs> but here, he is postulated as being the real Captain America retired, now teaching at the Lee School in Connecticut. Mm. And he's got a young boy with him who... He would be probably 15 or 16 at this point, Bucky. He was really young initially, mm. not the Sebastian Stan. Right, 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 yeah. And this, he comes back because the Red Skull, who's now a dirty commie, he's a Red Skull, mm-hmm. has taken over the UN. So Cap and Bucky hear this on the radio. Are we ready to not be retired anymore? Mm. And they go and they fight the Red Skull, and he spends a couple of issues fighting not... Uh, communist robots and a character called Electro who doesn't look anything like either the one with the yellow lightning bolts or Jamie Foxx. <laughs> uh, and these books lasted, there are, I think, four issues of Young Men with the superheroes and they brought back Cap for two more issues and it went away. There just wasn't time yet. Mm-hmm. Well, so interesting, we, we see here two times reflected Absolutely, by the times in which yep. he he is he is being used in the in the 40s during the war when you need a patriotic symbol to help you get through this this bad time, and then the 50s he is now fighting communists, you know, and kind of coming out of retirement to face the red menace that, yes. that's taking on you know America at the time. The thing I would ask before we move on too far, sure. Back in the original Captain America comics number one, how much of what we know as Captain America existed then? And what, or was there some major differences? He's Steve Rogers. Mm. He's the skinny. Well, here he's the skinny guy mm. you know, right? And it's it, from the movie. It's all that stuff you saw. It's an old lady with a gun and a mask, and mm. right. Okay. The, the professor. The origin is exactly mm. the same. It's never changed over all these years. Mm. The particulars have a little of course, bit. The machine yeah. looks different. Yeah. yeah. The name. You know, he's Dr. Rothstein in the... Right. He wants to be Einstein. They've actually said later on that was his code name. Yeah. Just they, like, to tweaked it, it a little bit. Yeah. Right. They, uh, Jack Kirby and Stanley added the Vita Rays back in later 60s. I think it's in issue 109 or mm-hmm. something like that. They, that gets mentioned for the first time. I don't know why they thought they needed it, but they did. <laughs> but his personality is still it. He's the skinny kid who volunteers. Mm-hmm. It's been expanded by everyone who's taken a crack at it, whether it's Stan and Jack, two or three different times. Certainly, Engelhart, Byrne, you name it, Mark Grunwald, Roger Stern, everyone took another, let's add some stuff. Right, of course, yeah. Yeah. You know, eventually, Brute Baker took the Bucky character and completely expanded that, too. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the funny thing is, we uh, mentioned Joe Simon before we, should, before we go too far along, in case no one asked this question. Joe Simon... As early as 1966, sued Marvel. Right, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. I was definitely going to okay. ask about that. Yeah, he he claimed that he created it. Mm-hmm. He didn't mention Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. 
it was said, well, I created Captain America. I drew the sketch and blah, blah, blah. So he belongs to me. Well, they settled out a court, but in the agreement, they settled that it was a work for hire. Mm-hmm. Then in the, I guess it was the early 2000s, he sued him again because the way the law was changed in between, if you had sold a character off to the company that was publishing it, you could then reclaim the copyright. Mm-hmm. So he sued and they settled again, and now he collects on these movies and the T-shirts and the rest of it. So right. good, good for him. Absolutely good for him, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting for all these guys, right, who kind of started creating stuff back in this this time, right, where there, it was kind of this wild west of, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, there's not, there weren't a lot of solid contracts, there wasn't like a lot of precedent. So, you know, people, some people got screwed, but that also left them open to be able to sue, you know, sue people. It led to agreements, it led to, you know, the, the Bob Kane and DC thing, which forced out Bill Finger in a lot of ways, who it's a whole other discussion we could, ha- yeah. we could talk about. But I'm always, I'm always fascinated to hear about those times, because you obviously create a character that's obviously huge now, but you said he was only on it for 10 issues, and then it was gone for years and years and years, so it's interesting to see how you know, that stuff got resolved. What's, what's funny, well, it's not funny, it's sad in that it's, it's turned around and creators' rights are mm. so prevalent now. But I don't know that the creation of characters is at the peak it was when these people were, right, even though no. they were giving them all away, Yeah, the, the um, staggering amount of the characters that are still being published now, 75 years later, and it's still the icons of the industry, right, yeah. are from then, not from now. Right, absolutely, yes. yeah. Now, yeah. is it because people hold them for themselves and, do, and self-publish, but then that's a smaller pond? Yeah. You know, where is the next Captain America or the next Superman or Batman? Yeah. Was the last great character of Wolverine? Which Maybe. is forty years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it's tough too because obviously we talk about this all the time with comic books, where it becomes this thing where people are much more guarded about taking in new characters. Mm-hmm. I think you know, you you know, they want to see Captain America, they want to see Iron Man, they want to see Spider Man. They don't really want new stuff, you know. I mean, they get yeah. it sometimes. I mean, yeah. like you can you can do it in shells like Miles Morales, who is the new Ultimate Spider Man, oh, is an okay. amazing character. character. Okay, yeah, you know, but he's he's still Spider Man, so you still get that mm-hmm. that shell around there. I mean, we obviously have Miss Marvel that just started. Who knows what that's going to be? But I think those things exist. It's just I think it's really tough because when you know when you go to the store, like you obviously want to buy new stuff, but you you know you're you're always looking to cap. You're always looking to those those heroes that you love so much. I think it's very tough in the comic book world yeah. outside. Well, the you can think about like I don't know maybe the Walking Dead stuff. Yeah, but That's I think we're talking opinion. more like mainstream superhero yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because it's I'm I'm advising one of my uh, students is writing a paper on uh, like a, an extended kind of senior piece on what motivated these sort of comics like Captain America, but also Superman and all of them. What motivated the creation of these characters in these comics and why they're so popular? And he's trying to link it to the Depression and World War II. And he's arguing that the history there motivates the creation of these characters and motivates the pop, the popular reception of these characters that kind of ingrains them in the zeitgeist of the culture. Right. Um, well, and maybe yeah. and that's an interesting argument, I think. Yeah. I, think it's a, I think it's a very apt one. You, yeah. The culture does always create the heroes for their times. I use as an example all the time the James Bond series of films yeah. where the swinging 60s of the Rat Pack you have a James Bond in a tuxedo who's very erudite beyond what he was in the books. He's mm-hmm. kind of nasty in the books. Right. Mm-hmm. As we got to the jokier, hippier 70s, I don't mean hippie, long hair, hippie mm-hmm. like I have, I mean hipster right. sort of 70s, yeah. we get uh, Roger Moore throwing out jokes and mugging and making right. 
the 80s it's a little different they're mm. all too right mm. he's deadly serious yeah. as we go badly down so that good. road and then we I, oh I'm a big fan of Mr. Dalton believe yeah. me he's one yeah. of my favorites but, and now we in action movies being the thug era really yeah. the first two Craig movies yeah. are very thuggish yeah. and he's, he's changed that but mm. we look at the superheroes the movies of the 30s it was underdogs Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it's the champ with Wallace Beery or Cagney or Bogart in those movies, it was always the little guy, you know, the, the golden boy and those mm-hmm. sort of things. We're looking at, we go into the 60s and then it's the antihero, whether it's in The Graduate or Easy Rider, mm-hmm. yeah. Bonnie and Clyde, Cool Hand Luke. As, as things were bad again, those heroes resonate with right. people. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, you're also, in this time, you're you're kind of creating into it what, what is like a vacuum of space where mm. these characters don't even really exist. You know, you're, you're creating the archetypes, whereas now I think everything's so clogged and everything also so... It's, it's all so big. You know, everything is so corporate and huge that you, it's the, the room for creativity in these spaces has kind of been strangled down a little bit. You know, where it's there, you're talking about, you know, Mark Goodman's like, just make me something that works. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. basically what he's saying. That's not how it works. Where everything's focus groups and everything is, is discussed. And not, not, not that it's always a bad thing. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes you get great stuff out of that. But I think at this point, there was a lot more room to be creative mm-hmm. in that way in the Marvel DC space. Yeah. And, and the other interesting 14 companies. to consider companies, also sure. is that, and, we, and Bob mentioned it before, but you have all these other characters, the Patriot, Spirit of 76, uh, Golden Girl, all these girl, uh, these characters, but they don't get the kind of ingrained status that like a Captain America gets. So there is something mm-hmm. about this character and this book in particular that trumps the rest. I don't know if that's fair no, ab- to say. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, the right character at the right time, he wasn't even the first one. Right. But it was right. the right one. Right. No one cares about the Finn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Roy Thomas did enough to bring him back to help fight the Gree Skrull War when he <laughs> popped out of Rick Jones's head. But... <laughs> For, uh, sorry, I spoiled the end of the Cree Squirrel War, but Rick Jones is a big deal. Has anyone read that? By no, the way? I have not. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's he's captured by the Cree, and he's the key to everything. At that point, he was linked to Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. They they exchanged bodies in a in the similar way to Shazam. Mm-hmm. He clanged nega bands together, and <laughs> one would go into the negative zone, one would come out. So he's captured by the Cree and the Supreme Intelligence. And the two giant armies are fighting, the Avengers in the midst of this. And all of a sudden, he realizes he has the, the supreme intelligence there, describes him, well, you, you were bred by us to be superior, and you could do something about this. And he remembers the comics he read as a kid, and out of his head formed these superheroes to fight the war. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so the, the original vision shows up, the, mm. the guy who's in the last Invaders issue. Mm. And the Finn was created by... Bill Everett, and it's another underwater hero in one of the worst superhero outfits ever. Sort of a brown, crap brown <laughs> out- outfit, doo doo brown, with with a big fin on his from his neck and his head. It's, it's like what? Who would have yeah. thought of that? You so, don't hear the about the fin anymore. He makes the wizard look good. He makes the wizard look good. So after, and we'll get back obviously to the cab of the fifty stuff when we get to a little bit farther on. Yeah, once you get in the seventies and and stuff like that. So, now, is Cap gone from this point to 1964 when he comes back? Cap is gone from 1953 until very late 1963, sort of. Okay. Because, (laughs) even though, sitting here with me is Avengers number four, Mm -hmm. 
And that's where everyone now would assume where Captain America returns. It even says so. Captain America lives again right on the mm-hmm. cover. Even though, the, look, the Hulk is still in the corner box, even though we quit <laughs> two issues before, after the fight with the Space Phantom. Six months before, in Strange Tales 114, Stan Lee ran a trial balloon. Okay. All of a sudden, Captain America shows up, only he's robbing banks and doing weird stuff, but then giving the money back. What's going on? And the Human Torch had solo stories in Strange Tales. This is coming out at the same time as FF, and it's Lee and Kirby. And Johnny's a comic book guy because he was sitting in that flop house. He's a guy who found the Submariner because he knew about him from comic books mm-hmm. and throws him in the water, who shows up with a giant monster and they fight. And, well, <laughs> anyway, at the end of the issue, there's a panel of Stan saying, Hey, it's a character called the Acrobat who manages to do the things that Cap could, but he, he's beating the torch for this entire issue until the very end, and Johnny figures it out. Just a trial balloon to see if you guys would like to see Captain America come back. Send us your cards and letters, and we'll mm. see, you know, if you, enough people say yes. Well, six months later, we have Avengers number four, and wow. early 64. Go ahead, Joey. No, that's great. I was just saying, wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> okay. What a, what a bizarre little story. <laughs> the acrobat. <laughs> yeah, I... Johnny fought some very bad people. He did fight the wizard and paste pot Pete, who would become the <laughs> trapster eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting now, hey, uh, Stanley brings him back in the Avengers, and he obviously then kind of re reframes him as very much a his kind of Marvel hero, where yes. he has now he has feet of clay. He's now a man out of time. He's haunted by his past, which wasn't part obviously of his character bef- before because he was still living in his regular time. Mm. Um, do you remember? I mean, was that a like a big thing when it, it came back? Well, I frankly, having not bought that Strange Tales issue at the time, right. I had no idea who Captain America was. I asked gotcha. my father. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what happened here though in issue three of the Avengers? The Hulk and Submariner team up mm-hmm. and fight the Avengers. The Hulk still made it the Avengers. The Submariner's made it everybody, always. So you have a big fight on the Rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> and on the way home in the Avengers submarine, they see floating past the window mm-hmm. this body. And I still don't know how they did this. It, it does, the, the panel makes no sense whatsoever. I, Giant Man reaches out and grabs him. <laughs> you're, you're underwater, Jack. You know what were you doing there? I, mean, I know they're superheroes, but they do still have to breathe. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, not it was so the good. 60s. Yeah. Right. So he, he, they bring him in and they lay him on a table, and in this tattered army outfit, the wasp brickness. That's the famous red, white, and blue garb of Captain America. Uh-huh. <gasps> and he wakes up and looks around at these, you know, a god and a giant mm-hmm. man and a robot. And the, he's just screaming, Bucky. Mm-hmm. And wow. he, he fights them and, and then composes himself mm-hmm. and tells this story about the end of the war and them trying to stop this drone, and he lost his partner. Mm-hmm. And that, just what you're saying, that man out of time was set up right there. He, he goes, I don't want to give this story away. It's got the broccoli people in it, by the <laughs> way. They're involved here. That's retroed in by, I think it was by Byrne. <laughs> And the something bad happens to the Avengers and Cap has to go fix something. And he's walking down the street near the UN and he's so impressed by the UN. Mm-hmm. He's talking about how the cars have all changed. And right. Women's fashions are different. And he's looking at this amazing building with all these flags. It means we did something right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the world has changed for the better. And he comes upon this 
I'm going to get weepy here. There's a <laughs> panel. I'm weepy over here, man. There's a, oh, I, I, I don't know, should I open this one? I should have brought the Oh, my print. goodness. Bob is taking out his actual Avengers number four out of the plastic. I'm, gonna, I'm pulling it up on my iPad right now. i got to find it. <laughs> Look at how many words are in these comics. I know. Oh, Stan. So uh, Cap is looking at this car. He's looking at this little sports car. And a policeman comes walking up and he says, oh, you don't mind, do you? No, go okay. ahead. Wait, I knew you. You're, no, nah, that, that can't be. It's impossible, but I can't be wrong. I saw you once when I was a kid. Never forgot it. Oh, and, God. <laughs> and we turn to this other side, and it's Cap sort of looking down a little sadly. No, officer, you're not mistaken. I am Captain America. And a cop, is he's blowing his nose. He's crying. Mm-hmm. And all these years, all of us, your fans, all your admirers, we thought you were dead. But you've come back just when the world has need of such a man, just like fate planned it this way. Ugh. Forgive me, Cap, will you? I, I, I seem to have something in my eye. It's like Stan. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it's about. Cap ends up at, at some hotel room, and all of a sudden, he sees Rick Jones in, in the hallway. And he's, Bucky, it's you. You're alive. And mm-hmm. it's, it's here. It's within a page and a half. This right. would take six issues now. Right, yeah, yeah. And oh, in yeah. a page and a half, we've reintroduced Captain America to the world, the world to him. Mm-hmm. The conflict over Rick Jones, which will go on a while, including the next issue where the Hulk is not thrilled that Rick has found a new partner. Oh, snap. Yeah. So, uh, Fantastic Four 25 and 26, Hulk versus Thing and the Avengers take over, happened between Avengers 4 and 5. And this is the first time Cap actually fights with the Avengers against the Hulk. He nearly takes out the Hulk. <laughs> Because he's awesome. Because he's Captain America, right. It doesn't matter. And in in the issues where he's fighting Samaritans, I don't care how big you are, I'll find a way. You can be stronger than I am, but it doesn't matter. And so Stan puts all those traits into, you know, it's the indomitable fighting spirit of Captain America. It's that man out of time, haunted by the loss of his partners and everyone else who came before. And it's all there. And it's all there instantly. Now, the thing with Stan was he either, he always said his memory was bad, he either forgot or conveniently ignored those stories in the late 40s mm-hmm. and the return in 1953 because he thought this story was, to me, I really believe, I think he jokes about he mm-hmm. didn't remember. He had to. It wasn't right. all that long ago. This was a much better story to tell mm-hmm. in a 60s fractured world where things were going a little wrong and maybe to his mind, we... We all still live in this country, mm-hmm. and it is still the greatest country on earth. We mm-hmm. do a lot of crappy things to each other and to other countries mm-hmm. and whatever. But the ideals and the the core values that this country was founded on are right and good when presented properly. Mm-hmm. When given to the rest of the world in a way that is not us imposing our will, but imposing our ideas on others and telling them, hey, there's another way to do things. Yours could work. But freedom and democracy and everyone being represented as a perfect democratic American society, which we don't sadly have. Right. Yeah. But in its pure form, it's, it is wonderful. And so he was a character who could represent that because he represented those greatest generation values. It's a term they didn't even use then. It was just those guys who saved the world for democracy. And he was a character who had all those values in a world that had seemingly lost some of them. Now, Stan was a not an old man at that point. He was, that's 50 years ago. He was late 30s when he did these. Mm-hmm. So still young enough to be angry about stuff. Right. And making sure that those, as Cap moved on through the 60s, nice mm-hmm. segue, right? Yeah. 
he would make sure we addressed the race issue. He, he, again, by issue 117 of the solo series, he's got the Falcon as a mm. partner. In the books were people of color in background roles. Mm-hmm. That you made sure that everyone was represented. Cap dealt with violence on campuses, mm. with what kids were doing. And he was, it was a struggle. It wasn't, you know, Stan was still not a, a hippie kid. Right. But writing, never wrote down to mm-hmm. the kids who were reading the book. Cap was never as successful as it could have been as it, or as it did when it started. It began his solo series in Tales of Suspense 59. We co-featured with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And in the Marvel way, issue 58, they fought with each other. Right, of course. That's what you did. Yeah. That's what you did. Yeah. That that panel you were talking about there mm-hmm. when the police um, the policeman sees him and they have that conversation, it reminds oh. me a lot of that one uh, that one moment in the Avengers film, right, where it's Coulson and him in, in the in the ship together, yes. and he says, you know, I you know I've got like, your costume for you, and he's I don't remember the exact line. He says, isn't that, isn't that a little you know old fashioned. old fashioned? And he says, you know, the way things are going, what's coming now? These people could use something a little old fashioned. Like it's it's oh, it's the same sort of moment. You yeah. know, we didn't read this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he had to. Mm-hmm. There's no question that to me, I, I say this a lot, mm. the Marvel movies, particularly Avengers and Captain America, mm. but the other ones too, mm. are Stan and Jack's Silver Age Marvel come to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. that's what separates them. There's a sense of heroism in in a very pure sense. They are, Stan always said that he wanted, you mentioned him having feet of clay, mm. what he wanted was heroes with flaws, not right. flawed heroes. Right. But heroes with flaws, it's, it's, a, it's a subtle difference, but a difference. Right. They yeah. acted as we did. Yeah. They had problems, and he always, oh, they had allergies and mm-hmm. dandruff, or right. Spider-Man's costume shrunk in the wash. And, right. <laughs> but you, you understood those people. They were us. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how do you make Captain America, this unassailable symbol, mm-hmm. us? He's got loss. Yeah. And we can all relate. And uh, there were people in this point, the, remember the World War II veterans were Stan's age. Right. They yeah. were 30 years old. Yeah. There, there were moms and, and wives who had lost people in this war mm. who were just having kids reading these books and you pass them back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We had a couple of questions kind of about this era. So I don't okay, I want to. Sure. Um, so Repstones wants to know do you prefer the early Joe Simon era cap or the Silver Age cap? Hmm. The, the amazing energy of that early Kirby stuff has grown on me over the years. If you had asked me years and years ago, it was, no, well, it's the Silver Age cat. I'd be, I'd be torn down the middle right now. <laughs> uh, just for the inventiveness, I'll say Simon and Kirby. Okay. Um, and Jordan Harper wants to know, uh, we already talked about how long passed between uh, World War One cap, World War Two cap and Avengers cap. Uh, it was about... 12 or 13 years between mm-hmm. the 50s and, and, and the re- we came back. Um, do you have any idea who decided, to, when Stan decided to add to the Avengers roster, did you think that he had, did he ever say to anybody else in mind or was always going to be Captain America? Well, I think it had to be Cap at that point. He'd re- Their big three mm-hmm. were the Torch, Namer, and Captain America. Okay. The Torch he'd already borrowed for his own use in the Fantastic Four, gave another kid the same powers. Mm-hmm. In the fourth issue there, he had brought back the Submariner. So the only person left was Cap. Right. And it, just, it seemed the natural. I mean, he, I'm, he sure could have brought back the Blue Diamond or the Thin Man or something. But who, Dr. No, Druid. Right. <laughs> none, none, of, none of that would have mattered. It really, right. you know, Marvel Boy who would, could have come back right. from the 50s. But mm-hmm. no, it, it, in, I think in the world he was 
having these characters in, there was nothing better than having Captain America. Right, absolutely. So you, you obviously you mentioned, um, you know, St- how Stanley and and how Jack Kirby are on the book for how long? Jack Kirby stayed with the book through issue one hundred eight. Okay, but he's in. They're in the soul. The number he gets taken from Tales of Suspense. Oh, okay. Cap started in fifty eight. Stan wrote the book from issue fifty eight to issue one forty one. Of course, <laughs> right. See, it's, it's, <laughs> A lot of issues. Mm. Kirby Kirby stayed around for the first forty or so of those mm. stories, and then was replaced by Jim Steranko for a little while. Okay, nice. Mm. And he did four issues that include Captain America. His secret identity's been given out. Mm. He fakes his own death by diving through a hail of Hydra bullets wearing a fake mask. <laughs> so when we drag the river, they find his costume mm. and a Steve Rogers mask. Okay. <laughs> So there's an issue that's here. With actually, you see him. He's a funeral, and Rick Jones is laying down in front in, in a Bucky outfit because he's being Bucky. And issue one one thirteen has my favorite page of comics ever. <laughs> it's a full page Steranko of. I remember you telling about this yeah, page. Yeah, Captain America mm-hmm. at the graveside. He's he's at his own funeral, a very sort of Tom Sawyer way. Yeah, Hydra's shown up. He's 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 decoyed them into mm. trying to attack the Avengers, and he shows up. There are fourteen thousand Hydra goons with guns. He's holding one over his head. They're shooting at him left and right. And there's this great, I, I'm not going to read this whole thing. I think it's, it's just a lot. Too long. Yeah. This amazing panel and a caption by Stan that completely tells you who Captain America is. I'll just start. Mm. A man can be destroyed. A team or an army can be destroyed. But how do you destroy an ideal, a dream? How do you destroy a living symbol or his indomitable will, his unquenchable spirit? Perhaps these are the thoughts which thunder within the murderous minds of those who have chosen the way of Hydra, of those who face the fighting fury of freedom's most fearless champion. I'm going, the gallant inspiration to liberty levels everywhere. How can the fearsome forces of evil ever hope to destroy the unconquerable Captain America? That's it. You don't don't need to read the other 400 issues of Captain America. Read that page, and that's all you need. Is this Madame Hydra? Yep. She's the Viper at that point. I really like this panel. Steranko's amazing. Anyone who loves J.H. Williams should be checking out some Steranko. Mm -hmm. And he only, again, he did four issues. He was doing S.H.I.E.L.D. But I have the original of these here, too, but I didn't want to open those up. They're falling apart. They're my originals from 67. Mm -hmm. And we we go from here, and how do you follow that? Mm -hmm. Well, we we go to Gene Colan, who is a great artist in his own right, and we create the Falcon only a year or so later. Now, they had done the, Stan and Jack had done the Black Panther mm-hmm. in issue 52 of the Fantastic Four. Now, you come off doing Jim Steranko. How do you follow this up? So it's the civil rights movement. That, that era is happening in America. And who better to represent the new America than a character called Captain America? So Stan, with his new artist, Gene Colan, who most people know from years on Daredevil, did Tomb of Dracula, which I've spoken mm. about so well, Brings him onto the book. He's a very different stylist, very angular, very moody, atmospheric sort of fella. The storyline here is the Red Skull has exchanged bodies with Captain America. Left him to die on some island in the middle of nowhere with his, it's called the Island of the Exiles. It's, it's his lieutenants, all these really bad people who before he changes bodies, he screwed over royally. <laughs> and so leaves Cap there in the skull body with guys who want to kill him. Uh-huh. He, he's wandering around this island and finds Sam Wilson, who's got a hunting falcon he can control. Cap teaches him how to be a hero. 
they take out the exiles. He gets to turn back into Captain America, and, and he now has a partner. Mm-hmm. The Falcon now, by issue 134, the Falcon's his partner and will be for 80 issues. Mm-hmm. Right. And just a great... It's What you, what you had here, he, Steve was alone, and in his private moments, the, the losses of all those people continued to eat him, continued to drive his character, made him who he was. But he began to assemble a family. Mm-hmm. Beyond the Avengers, it was Sam and Sharon, and Nick Fury to a certain point. Eventually, in the Engelhardt issues, which we're going to talk about fairly soon, there's some other people begin to come in. Eventually, there's Bernie Rosenthal that Roger Stern and John oh, Byrne comes up with. Oh, <laughs> see, I love Bernie. I miss Bernie. He was uh, he was uh, at that point in the books. He was a oh, was digressing. He was a graphic artist. Which in the movie where you mm. see him drawing, oh, you have two choices. Yeah. You can either lab yeah. rat or a dancing monkey. Yeah. He was actually at one point, I think it's in the Grunwald era, actually drawing the Captain America comic book. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's very meta. Yeah. <laughs> well, as far back as FF11, there, were, there was Marvel comics in the books. Right, yeah. yeah. And the FF were authorizing stories. Right, yeah. And I think, in, is it that issue where it's the annual where Stan and Jack, and you always showed them from the back. Mm-hmm. Though Jack, Jack would draw Stan here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as Doctor Doom. <laughs> Doom took his mask off. It was Stan. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, yeah, very, very meta, very yeah. sort of inside baseball. But what the heck? It was, it was mm. fun. So you have the Falcon just for years and years. There is a little bit of a struggle here. The, the world, we look at the assassinations that are happening at this point. The war is going full blast. Stan is still in there pitching political ideas. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm sure, what the Brubaker sort of thing is, mm. but, but that's a very spy fiction sort of idea. Mm. Here was more the idea as well, should we be doing this? And as we get into the 70s, as, as he finally leaves, and again, it's 141, 1971, 72, when he pulled, became published and pulled mm. back from writing nearly everything. It went through a couple of hands. The book, Jerry Conway was on it, and some of the other big, and Roy Thomas did a few. Mm. And that's when Steve Englehart right. jumped on board. Yeah, which is obviously we're going to talk to him, and you're going to hear that interview. But you know, just we talked to him, and he got his opinions about what he was doing. So, but you mentioned in the interview, Bob, that how much you love Steve Englehart's run. Um, what was it about that run that that made it for you? I believe that he, as a student of things, and and read some of these before he employed everything that was right about Captain America and put it into the new world that we were dealing with. It was different than Stan's. The five years are very different between when he brought back Cap mm. and now we're post-Robert uh, Kennedy, post-Martin Luther King, Vietnam War, campus protests, hippies, construction workers, women's lib, all the rest of it. It's all happened. The world is changing before Nixon. our eyes. Nixon, right. 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 Which he'll he gets to <laughs> we'll, we'll, that happens. Yeah, stuff happens, and he wrote wonderful dialogue and great captions that heightened the art below it. Very often, those captions you sometimes find mm. them a little. You no, know, the caption, the Steve Englehart captions, right. I think are fantastic. Right, that's what I want yeah, to bring yeah, up. Yeah, how much yeah. you love those because yeah. it is a very different sort of amplification of it, as mm. opposed to just a retelling of a panel below it. Yeah, you really. It's a narration for the greatest documentary of all time. Mm-hmm. You're watching while he does it. Right. He wrote Cap. He was haunted, but he he was still having fun being Captain America. And so then, when he'd be let down by something, you felt it twice as hard. Mm-hmm. 
when his fractured family, when things would begin to happen, and you, you felt for him so deeply because he had created such a wonderful hero. His first story is The Cap of the 50s, mm-hmm. which he, I'll, I won't reiterate his story. You should listen to the way he yeah. tells the story. But it's about that, that 50s character who appeared for three issues. And Roy Thomas, who loved the Golden Age stuff, would do something with that. And what you have is Captain America, did, did, oh, Roy Thomas fixes this too. He does a what-if issue where he explains the 40s stories as well <laughs> with the, uh, Jeff Mace and William Nasland and Jack Monroe, who we know about from Winter Soldier, is right. part of the, this cap of the 50s thing. Yeah. Someone who's just enamored and obsessed with Captain America, and he's, he's gone, does some research and looks through books after books and learns and looks at newsreels and discovers how Captain America walks and talks and all the things he did and all his adventures and in his research finds the diary of a German spy. Mm-hmm. Who, the fellow who was the handler of the guy trying to steal the super soldier serum discovers that they actually had some of it and the Germans managed to cobble it together. He's found this, goes to the government, look what I found. You could have more Captain America's good. Thank you very much. We'll take that. No. No, no, I don't have all of it here. I've got it in my head, and I've got it written down other places. I'll give it to you if I can be Captain America. Mm. I know more about it than anyone. I'll do it. Mm. He gets plastic surgery to look like Steve Rogers, gets the super soldier serum, gets a kid partner. They go out. They're very successful. That's the stories told in these 50s mm. books. And then there's the stories that begin just after. He doesn't get the Vita rays, so begins their sort of super steroids. He goes mm-hmm. nuts and has roid rage and starts seeing communists and criminals everywhere. Right. Beats up everyone he can get their hands on the government, says, well, that's quite enough of that. Mm. Thank you very much. McCarthy's been censored. You're, you're out of here, too. And they put him on deep freeze until a government worker disgusted with the liberal politics of Richard Nixon mm. thaws him out. And while Cap's on vacation after a long mission before, as you've read... He starts beating up people in Harlem, mm-hmm. saying some very, very nasty things. Yeah. Yeah. And creates what to me is still the best story arc in Captain America's history. 153 to 156, the cap of the 50s, which I can't wait to see in a movie. Joey, obviously you're a fan. Of 50s cap? Yeah. The Burnside stuff? Oh, yeah. my God. Well, here's my theory. Okay. Of, of where the Marvel movies are going to go. <laughs> because Evan's been saying, like, man, I'm done with acting and all of that. I anticipate because there, there's rumors that they're going to try and bring in the Burnside character for uh, um, Cap Three mm-hmm. for that storyline. I think they're going to knock off Cap in Avengers Two. Really? And Cap Three is going to be so. I think Evans is going to be like, look, I'll play plastic surgery Burnside, crazy economy fighting Cap. <laughs> and then it'll be him versus Bucky for who will wield the shield. That's what I think is going to happen. Awesome. <laughs> do, I think, yeah. do I think it's actually going to play out that way? Probably not. But that would be crazy and awesome, and Evans would have a great time doing that, <laughs> yeah. I think. And then he can direct Cap 4. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think that the character's great, and it, and he plays significantly in uh, in the, the Brubaker run, which I, I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. later as well. Yeah. Like, huge role. Um, but again, part of the role that he plays in that that run is similar to, as Bob was talking about, um, Steve Rogers 
in the when he came back in the Avengers, this idea of loss, this idea of kind of not fitting in in the time. So Brubaker took that kind of theme of the Rogers character and subverted it for when he brought back the Burnside character, which again, mm. just the whole mythos with all these rich characters in the in the Captain America mythos, I think is again mm. what makes the character so appealing still today. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and so as we move through, we're moving through this Englehart era, what are the other kind of standout moments? What do you think are the other touchstone moments? Well, in that point, his biggest one, we mentioned Mr. Nixon before. Yeah. It's the Secret Empire storyline where, first of all, the, there's, the Red Skull's involved a little mm. bit. We have some stuff going on early. And then coming out of that, it's a period where he... <laughs> Uh, if everyone's seen All the President's Men, there was a Nixon had a thing called the Committee to Reelect the President, mm-hmm. which was known in the press as Creep. <laughs> well, in, in this book, there's someone trying to denigrate Captain America, and he gets framed for a murder, and it's the Committee to Regain America's Principles or Crap. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's Steve Englehart. He was on the edge of things, and Marvel was willing to, mm-hmm. to go there with him. So. Secret Empire, they had been in, in Hulk issues back in the early 60s. The X-Men were involved. This was between their series before they came back. So it's, they're in the blue and yellow mm. spandex and so on and so forth. So Charles Xavier's involved. The Secret Empire is kidnapping mutants to power a spaceship so they can take out Washington. Hmm. And Cap, of course, perseveres. He's stolen some stuff. The original Moonstone shows up in that one with the fella, not the Carlos Ophin from the Thunderbolts. And the, the number one sneaks away and runs into the White House. Hmm. And Cap follows him. And there's a shot from behind of this cowled figure laying on the ground holding a gun. And Cap saying as he pulls the mask, no, it can't be you. Hmm. And he shoots himself in the Oval Office. Hmm. And it, it was Nixon. Right. He had just resigned. And now in a comic in the Marvel Universe, he shoots himself in the wow. <laughs> Yeah. It is. It was stunning, mm-hmm. and I was 17, 18 years old, mm-hmm. and hated Nixon. Yeah, right. many of us did. Right. And it was yes. This is just. This is what a comic book can do, mm-hmm. and lots of superhero stuff, lots of great stuff. And whether it was Eisner or Stan or Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams with with Green Green Arrow, this was this was a, a level above any of that. This mm-hmm. was saying to us everything is possible, and we can talk about anything we feel like. Right. And here it is in front of us. And there's, there's a great series of follow-ups to that. You'd get to see Peggy Carter mm-hmm. for the first time and understand the relationship between, well, their sisters. And it eventually became great aunts as the years began to pass. Right. Which then heightened his loss, too. You got to see Cap's world through Peggy from the other side, mm-hmm. where she's 70 years old. Right. And he's 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's heart, heart-wrenching right. stuff. So, again, we see here with Engelhart. Cap, the way Cap relates to the government in which he is around. Because when you hear Captain America, you, people obviously think he's patriotic, he's going to go with whatever the government's doing. And I think we've seen, you know, over the years, and I think Brubaker even said this, he's like, when he started writing him, he's like, people, some people wanted, you know, all the liberals want him to be, you know, you, you know, protesting, you know, President Bush, and all the conservatives want him mm-hmm. going over to Iraq to punch Saddam Hussein in the sure. face. You know, so... It, and I think it was actually um, we get we, we get this obviously, but Grunwald, who um, we did that Captain America No More storyline, it was not Cap does not stand for the government; he stands for all 
Americans. Right. Now, right. Grunwald, who did a long, very long run, 10-year right. run, yeah. basically. Now, that he becomes the captain at that point. Mm. But that's a riff off of... I love Grunwald's work. Mm. I've met him a couple of times. Mm. He's a friend of my friend, Frank, who runs my comic book store, and a lovely man. His cap is filled with really, really good stories. Right. I don't know that there's a great one. Right. There's really good... The stuff with Diamondback and Crossbones mm. and the captain, and he loses his powers and some wonderful stuff in there. A lot of it was seemed to be based on things before. And right. He did very good versions of them, but... Mm. That Cap No More is his version of Englehart's Nomad. Nomad, Nomad story, right? I'm, I'm just saying this as far right. as like, I think it was a quote from this, that book, mm-hmm. the exact quote I wanted to bring up, and how I, I think, and we even had a question for one, one of our listeners asking if, if Cap was a liberal or a conservative, and I think that, uh, you know, it's very indicative of how we kind of think of things, I think, now, as far as like, you're either this or you're that. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's really either. You know, I, I think that he stands for, a, like you said, the ideals of the country more than a political creed. Oh, right. you know, what, you know? Well, that's why in the wake of the Secret Empire storyline, he gave up being Captain America. Mm. In the Captain era, he has it taken away from him, basically, by the right. government and says, fine, I don't need you. Yeah. I, I stand for something grander. Right. And so I can be the captain. Mm. But in, he creates a, an identity, the nomad, the man without a country, mm-hmm. because he's felt so let down by his leaders. I would tell you that the he's, he's a New Yorker, which generally says that most New Yorkers then were, were as now were Democrats, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he was poor, mm-hmm. so he was probably a liberal in the sense of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which is not what a liberal is today. It's right. a different mm-hmm. ballpark. Yeah. So it, it means he was socially liberal that you looked out for the little guy mm-hmm. more right. than anything else, and that could mean little countries or little people or the guy selling newspapers on the corner. Right. Right, absolutely. Kind of the question, I mean, this kind of, like, that where we're on right now kind of flits into this Repstones question, okay. which is, does the fact that Cap hails from a poor immigrant stock inform the way writers approach him? And should it? <sighs> Joey, go ahead while I think. <laughs> Ask it one more time. Does the fact that Cap hails from poor immigrant stock inform the way writers approach him? And should it? Uh... Speaking as, and I actually talk about this with with my girlfriend all the time too. But speaking as a son of immigrants, uh, and 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 people who um, came over and lived in New York, I think that what it does do, is, and and Bob just mentioned this, it does it does inform his his ability to sympathize with and fight for the the those that lack privilege, those that lack power. Mm. Um, which again, I, I do think is also an American ideal or should be an American ideal too. So I think in that sense, because that ideal is inherent being, you know, a, a child of immigrants and from, and coming from poverty, um, and living in Brooklyn and all that during the depression, I think that since that is such an integral part of the character, I do think that writers do take that into account. Do I think he's going over to Ireland and, you know, fighting for their rights and everything i don't know uh but <laughs> yeah. he is irish right did i, did I just make that up yeah I don't yeah. Know. yeah yeah so <laughs> I, I don't know if that would affect it in any way i, I don't know I'd, I'd try to answer that question mm-hmm. well i think he since he's created by children of immigrant stock mm-hmm. simon and kirby and stan later on he his character is that at the beginning mm-hmm. and it's then that informs the writers who followed 
because right. of they put that into their work. People, right. They wrote what they knew, mm-hmm. which was scrabbly Lower East Side tenements. Right. Absolutely. Now we, you mentioned how you thought Captain Fifties. You think it's your favorite Captain America yep. story. It's your favorite Captain America story. Andrew Rue wants to know who had the best run on Captain America. Do you think it's Inglehart, Bob? I do. Mm-hmm. I do from Joey. I mean, I'm I'm really only familiar with the Brubaker stuff okay. to be honest, um, but I do know that the the Englehart stuff was great, and I've heard great things about the Stern run as well, which was a very different kind of approach to the character in the late mm-hmm. '70s. There, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not really able to talk to speak to that. Right, yeah, Stern run is very good. The issues with Byrne, you have some really neat stuff. The Baron Blood issues, certainly Cap running for president. Yeah, which is one of my favorite single issues ever. Steve Englehart ran through uh, basically two artists, Sal Busema, who did three years, a little before Steve took over the book. Very, very great action sequences and very small moments, too. And then Frank Robbins, who is a very very odd-looking art style, very cartoony, but it really worked. And in the... It worked very well when, in the wake of the Nomad storyline, while Cap was off being not Cap, people tried to sneak in in his place. Oh, well, I can do Captain America. Right. So there's a baseball player who tries it and gets mm. beat up by some bad right. guys, falls badly. Yeah. <laughs> a, a motorcycle thug, well, I'm a tough guy, <laughs> and he gets the snot kicked out of him. <laughs> and then there's a kid who works out in the gym with Sam named Roscoe, mm. who decides to take up the mantle of Cap, and mm. he's sort of working with Sam. And they encounter the Red Skull. And it doesn't go very well. Mm. At all. At all. And amazingly, this cartoony, sort of weird, posed work of Frank Robbins sold that storyline in a way that a a regular artist might not have. It was Mm. so sad and so amazingly heartbreaking that it was anything else wouldn't have worked. And I'm not sure. I was one of the people when Robbins took over. Why him? Right. Can we, can we get anything but that? Mm-hmm. Now, the, for me, the, the really sad thing that comes in the wake of Steve Englehart leaves. There are some fill-in issues by a couple of folks. Jack Kirby comes back to Marvel after having left in 1970. Mm-hmm. Jack Kirby on Captain America. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> and it's sadly the the era that Rick Remender seems to love. Mm-hmm. Arnim Zola and, and weird blobby creatures and stupid names. And we went from Engelhart, Sam and Steve and Sharon and a family. And these there was conflict. They didn't mm-hmm. get along all the time. But Sharon and, Sharon and Steve were a, were a legitimate couple. And you could see that they loved each other. And Sam was part of this interesting triangle and, and it was just amazing stuff mm. and great characters and great stories and they all meant something mm-hmm. throwaway panels were better than whole issues mm. of what was going to follow there's a scene where the three of them are sitting at a table as we are today and you wouldn't know which one of them was talking if you didn't look at the artwork <laughs> jack kirby could still really really draw but what we discovered there's a real split in comicdom mm. stan did everything Jack did nothing, mm. or the other way around. That everyone right. blamed Stan. Stan stole everything. And mm. Stan, the truth of it is, they were a team. Right. I come down on on it this way: the work that Mr. Kirby and Mr. Ditko did separately, so some was brilliant, mm-hmm. was not to the level of what they did with Stan. Right. And Stan did Spider-Man with John Romita, mm-hmm. and it was still great. And did Silver Surf with John Buscema, and it was great. And mm-hmm. Daredevil with Gene Colan, and it read like Marvel. Mm-hmm. And 
Some, there's something missing. So Jack came back to write and draw Captain America. Right. Ugh. It was not good. So it's yeah, kind of it's like a good. forgotten time in the Captain America world. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're Rick Remender. Right, which is obviously got to be like an age thing, right? He's probably like the first Cap you read. It was yeah. probably like as a kid, so he fell in love with it, and it's just what sticks with him now. Um, so after Kirby, uh, Kirby's run on the book, is that when the Stern run? Yeah, Stern's in that sort of period. Jack does a couple of years. Okay. Stern is there, and then Byrne, who is doing... X-Men, I hadn't gotten to Fantastic Four yet, done Iron Fist, I guess, mm. with, with Claremont. They come on. Stearns is, he's heroic, but a little more questioning, would you say, Joey? Yeah, it's, I know, what I do know about it is he, he moves to Brooklyn Heights. He's kind of living in an mm-hmm. apartment, you know, with Bernie Rosenthal across the way. It's much more grounded. He's, like, hanging out with, like, firefighters and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, kind of. It's a short run, though. I don't think it's a long one. Maybe a dozen, 20 issues, maybe? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. yeah. That's why yeah, I was reading that. Period, yeah. I was doing a lot of research before we did this, and they said that the, the Stern-Burn like, collaboration is mm-hmm. s- some of the best stuff that's ever been in Captain America, yeah. but it's very, very short. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's the 40th anniversary mm. issue. He runs for president, which is a great idea. Right. I'd vote for him. <laughs> I don't know if he can wear the mask, mm, yeah, but yeah. it's it's a good start anyway. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, we and the Bernie to, character's great. Yeah. Bernie Rosenthal, she's actually in the Cheapo movie. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, well, she's Bernie anyway. <laughs> uh, so we have the short burn, um, Stern, and then wh- wh- where do we go after that? We, I'm trying to find the number where Mark Grunwald takes over. So now we have Mark Grunwald's kind of 10-year run on yes. the book. Uh, he's from 307 to 422. That's a lot of And issues. then sh- skips an issue and goes all the way to 443. Okay, wow. So he's on the book for a very, very long time. Yeah. And as you said, like a lot of really good stuff. Not the nice stuff you think that is great. Yeah, but never anything. You know, there's always the philosophical question. Would you rather have a life... Mm. Of really high highs, but right. really low lows, yeah. or something safe in the middle. Right. Grunwald was an amazing historian of comic books. He mm. remembered everything. He wrote newsletters and magazines called Omniverse about the they were in Silver Age and Golden Age, and there were heroes in between. He came up with Earth E that was in between to mm. sort out where these extra stories went. He could tell you in panel detail when there was Ramatut and when he was Kang and when he was Doctor Doom or when mm. he was the Scarlet Centurion, he remembered all these weird details from old Captain America stories and threw them all in. Mm-hmm. And they're fun and they're good reading and bought every single one of them. Right. Nothing really stands out in the way that some of these other ones do. Right. But you could never, never ignore it. You always wanted to read it. You mm. knew it was, I read my books... The one I want to read the most goes to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Mark Grunroll's Captain America is always in the middle. Right. <laughs> but that, that's not a bad thing. No, no, of, yeah. of course there not. There were solid workmanlike books that introduced some interesting characters. Again, Diamondback was a lot of fun, and that, that whole Serpent Squad. We get through lots of Skull stuff, lots of that. We mm-hmm. get Zemo again, and the son of Zemo, and who would end up in the Thunderbolts. Capwolf. Well, yeah, and the Ameri- and the Ameridroid. <laughs> you know, there's there are some problems now. Now, the first time they did werewolves back in issue one sixty four, the Deadly Nightshade, mm. with art by old old sort of underground guy named Alan Weiss, who was part of a an inky group called the Krusty Bunkers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's what they called themselves. Uh, Cap 
fights is this lady who's in prison, the deadly nightshade, who mm. can create werewolves. So she's, he's fighting the falcon who's a werewolf. And so eventually we have Cap Wolf. Right. Well, I mean, we read a story for that long. There's bound to be some, yeah. some problems. <laughs> it's not all going to be perfect. No. But again, <laughs> they're all very good stories. Mm-hmm. There, there's not a real dog wolf in the bunch. Mm-hmm. So Grunwald run ends... And is it right to wade after the Grunwald run? Mostly so. There's right. a, there are a lot of fill-ins in between. There's, right. You know, he, Robert Kirkman did the mm-hmm. run before Brubaker. Right. Okay. Yep. Which mm-hmm. seems kind of mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. Mark Wade has a really nice run. Mark Wade really writes Captain America very well. Mm-hmm. The, the real problem with the Mark Wade run, a lot of people love Ron Garney's art. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what I saw. Of it was it was imaging. a little more muscly than my, than for yeah. my taste, you know. Especially for someone who's supposed to be, I mean, supposed to be muscly, but he I feel like he needs to be a little bit more lithe than the, yeah. the, how the characters depict. Even the Mike Zek era, where mm-hmm. he was Grunwald had Zek for a long time, he was very built, mm-hmm. but not quite so. Actually, somewhere here, I'll be off mic a second. I've got right. some Gron- I have some uh, Garney here somewhere. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So it goes it goes right to Wade, and obviously, but. Um, Oh yeah, see, it's big. It's very, very big. He's very, he's very big. Yeah. <laughs> so you like the it's writing? Twenty-four pack. Didn't really like. Didn't go for the art so Jesus. much. No, it's mm. it's it's hard to get around. Yeah. But it, I want to read it. Mm. I kept reading it because, well, Mark Wade writes everything right really well. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we're getting into the time now. We're heading, we're heading up the time where we're in the really dark time, right? We're getting close. Yeah, yeah for, for the really dark out. time. The really dark time. Rob Liefeld. Yeah. <laughs> I like the art in this. Really? You, do, you do like it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do actually um, quite a bit. So, uh, w- when do we go from the Wade era to the Rob Liefeld? That's ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. When Marvel decided that what they needed to do was farm out all the work to the image guys. Mm. So they basically, it's the end of the Onslaught event. I, I, I always get that. It's Onslaught, right? Not Apocalypse, Onslaught. Onslaught, yeah. Okay. yeah. And all the heroes die in a big fight in Central Park. All the major ones. Mm-hmm. And then they came back a couple of months later, drawn by Jim Lee and Liefeld. The heroes and, re- yeah, yeah. yeah, Heroes Reborn. Yeah. And so we get Captain America with about a 78-inch chest <laughs> and a 37-inch neck. <laughs> And no feet or hands. No feet or hands, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and pouches and all the rest. Yeah, and yeah. it's just awful. And they mm. did that for a year. Mm. And, well, Liefeld didn't. He got fired, I think, right after this issue number eight that I was okay. holding in my hand. All right. Or, or he left. It, he it left. It depends who he asked. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then, now what he did, this, this is a Joe Simon story, mm. he was going to redraw the book, since he had already issues drawn, mm. as The Fighting American. Because mm-hmm. he thought it was in the public domain, and then Joe Simon sued him. He went, "No, mm-hmm. that's mine. It's not <laughs> yours." Right. <laughs> so then Liefeld cut some deal with Joe Simon. Well, okay, fine. Pay me enough, and you can use it. So mm-hmm. he used his Captain America stories and made him the Fighting American, mm-hmm. and then got sued by Marvel, <laughs> who sued him and Simon. It seems and then like Simon sued them both back again. It seems like a big quagmire of time. Yeah, Simon and, sued. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and it was it was just miserable. Right. And after a year or so, Peter David fixed everything. Mm. He was in charge of Heroes Return. Right. And they returned because Franklin Richards is powerful enough to create a universe to hold the real heroes in mm. until they can come back. <laughs> Which, why not? Mm. It was in the stories. It could work. So then Wade and Garney came back. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Right. That's but, right. There's, definitely a, there's that kind of hole in their run, and they got to come yeah. back afterwards when everything came back. So... When you think about the the kind of the, the eras of Captain America, 
Um, if you're going to compare kind of the Grunwald and the Wade era, which one do you lean more towards? I would lean... Hmm, that's tough because I really don't like the Garney art that right. much. But I think the Wade writing is stronger. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, yeah, I'll go Wade Garney. It's, right. It would be close. Right. It would be very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after Wade and Garney, uh, where do we move from there? Where are we at? Is there anything, by the way, is anything stand out for you in, in the Wade Garney era? Operation Reborn, mm-hmm. which is right. Red Skull and got to love Red Skull. Stuff. Right. Well, got to love Red Skull. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the book after they leave goes kind of nowhere. Okay. There's there's a short run of like a new volume that that they do kind of post nine eleven really yeah and that first run like I'm looking it up right now on on Unlimited Ooh. like I don't even recognize the writer uh Wait, who is it hit me with it because I didn't write it um down. John Nay Reiber yeah Reber and and John Cassidy was on the artwork and I actually have this issue it's like post nine eleven so I think in the first half of the book he's at Ground Zero like cleaning up stuff so it's like very emotional but from that issue on it's like it's kind of that stuff that Brubaker mentioned in that quote for that first kind of story arc going abroad and fighting terrorists and it was it kind of just didn't didn't jive like the tone of it just didn't didn't match the Cassidy art's obviously nice to look at but I just mm-hmm. didn't I didn't really like that um Ron I, the no. the volume only ran from 2002 to 2004 so right. it was mm-hmm. a short little volume right and in between there there's also a Captain America Falcon mini series I think it's got Cassidy yeah, Christian on the Priest. yeah which is I think it's 12 issues mm-hmm. In the wait period, there was actually two Captain America books out at once. Right. And Captain America's Sentinel of Liberty mm-hmm. took over the numbering for Cap, and they went back and forth. And we, we, again, we in a changed world. In the, a world. Right, <laughs> I, I don't think the creators of the, two, the early 2000s there, where do you put a Captain America yeah. character when everyone hates us? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So before, they did spy stuff, and that's okay. But is that what you want him doing? Because mm-hmm. now, okay, look, he, he's a spy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of the whole super uh, Steve Rogers super soldier mm-hmm. irked me a little bit. <laughs> so I'm I'm really happy to see this movie starts there and goes somewhere else. Right. As we mm. move forward. Anyway, as we move fast enough, obviously we're, we're, we, the 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 next looming big pointer is is the Brubaker mm-hmm. run, right? We, which is bringing us just about to, you know, last year, basically, yep. you yeah. know, uh, up through that. And I know, Joey, you are a big fan of that uh, that run. What is it yeah. about the Brubaker run that you love so much? Well, the thing about that run, and, and when I was a kid, I was an X-Men fan. And, like, I read them on and off, a couple of trades here and there, loved when the movies came out. But it wasn't really until I picked up Brubaker's Captain America Omnibus Number 1, like, at Christmas time on a whim – that I was like, wow, damn! I need to, I need to read comics every week, you know. <laughs> like it was this run that really got me into collecting, you know. And um, I think part of it was obviously the Captain America character is so rich, but for me, it was the Bucky stuff and the Winter Soldier stuff, which is why I'm so ecstatic for the film to come out. For me, Brubaker's volume on Captain America after the first couple of issues isn't about Steve Rogers. It's about Sharon Carter and the Falcon and Bucky and later on, you know, Black Widow and and how they cope with 
the legacy and ideals that Steve Rogers represents because, you know, we've had 40 years of stories in which Steve has dealt with these issues. And now that we're in the modern era, we see the, his family of characters dealing with them as well. And I just love the characterization and obviously Brubaker's writing and the, the kind of grit that he brought to it. Uh, but also the, the string of artists that they had on it. It's just all, all the pieces were like perfect for, like seven years straight. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that's so rare. And I feel like Brubaker was able to tell a story that went over so many issues. It, there weren't a lot of like little kind of one and done little stories. There was this ongoing kind of opus of, of characterization and, and mythology that I felt, you know, was appropriate to the character and appropriate to the story. It's one of the reasons why I, I think that, you know, that last volume of X Factor was so good too, you know, that mm. Peter David was doing that was talking about, you know, what is it, an hour and a half ago now? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, the there was that continuity there, and and it was so driven by these characters, um, a, a, a an ensemble of characters rather than just you know, the titular hero. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, Bob, as someone, and we kind of have this question here, and we'll kind of wrap this into the whole run. Okay. But. Um, Luciano Marai wants to know, as a fan of Cap for more years than he has existed, how did Bob feel when reading... Then Luciano or Cap? Yeah, yeah, I'm no. old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> no, no, he, older than Luciano. Oh, yeah, know. yeah. How, how did Bob feel when reading the Winter Soldier arc for the first time and realizing its true identity? Obviously, you guys had a whole book club about this, so I don't want to re- rehash too much of no. what happened here, but I want to bring it, it more into... It never came up. That question actually don't think came oh, up. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, where were you, Luciano? Yeah. <laughs> So answer that, and kind of the whole run of Brubaker as taking us into this modern era. How did you feel about that run as a whole? Well, here's the thing. I, on my list of, that's in the article, mm. of great stories in, in Cap's history, one of them is 17 issues where he never appears. Right. It's the death of Captain America, because yeah. Oh, yeah. those issues tell you why Captain America is important. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, And absolutely. that's brilliant, brilliant yeah. writing. Yeah. This is not a situation of where, where I feel weirdly with Brian Azrael writing Wonder Woman mm. he's writing a great comic book that's not a great Wonder Woman story mm. here's someone writing a book without the character in it yeah. and it's a great Captain America book <laughs> right. because the characters his family reflect his values act out his values mm. from their own perspective and how they work it now to say when they brought back Bucky the phrase in England would be I was gobsmacked <laughs> because the idea was there were two Marvel characters that were dead and were staying dead, and it was mm-hmm. Uncle Ben and Bucky. Right. I, we've discussed this mm. off air here and there. I'm still of the opinion that we're better off with a, with a dead Bucky for the character of Steve Rogers, mm. which isn't necessarily... I've been thinking about this in between <laughs> since we discussed this. I don't know that it would be better for the book or for Marvel. Right. But for the characterization of Steve Rogers personally, mm. Bucky represents that he took this kid into combat, which, which Brubaker changes, mm-hmm. but he takes his kid into combat who dies because of him, mm-hmm. right. who he can't save, and he represents all those soldiers on every battlefield, every hero, superhero comrade he lost, every civilian he couldn't save, mm-hmm. and it's why he has to be better. Right. Well, when and, you put it that way. <laughs> right, and even though, even though Bucky has spent years in, on ice, mm-hmm. he ended up in a gulag once he went on trial, mm-hmm. As I said this on our show, he could still then go out and have a beer and talk to Bucky about it. Right. When Bucky's in the ground, yeah, it's in his head, mm. and that that haunting quality—that's the capsy. I think it's 
it's the age thing. I grew up with the Cap Man Out of Time morning mm-hmm. Bucky. And so to me, that's Captain America. And that, there should be growth. And he grew out of it because he yeah. recreated a family with Sam and Sharon. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a little different. Go ahead, yeah. Joey. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I guess it is because I didn't have all of that, that, that great stuff. And again, when you do put it that way, it, it makes total sense, right? This idea that Bucky kind of represents that loss. When I picked up that book and I started reading it and I didn't have that background, what I saw was this idea of he had spent so much time coping with that loss and finding a way to deal with it and then having that past come back and come back in the form that it did in that that winter soldier Mm -hmm. arc was so powerful and to see this idea of kind of the history coming back in a a perverted way i i read as kind of sort of um those ideals and messages and and things that cap had come to stand for were then put into question as well. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, in, in, and again, I thought that was doing the post-9-11 story correctly. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you saw Cap coping with it, dealing with it, and still trying to find a way to persevere through it while still redeeming those values as opposed to kind of hiding them or trying to, you know, um, put, them, put them aside, which then what ends up happening to Cap in 25 and then watching the the... the the family of characters then try and take up those ideals and then watching Bucky in particular try and take up those ideals um, I thought was just such a powerful, powerful story to go through over, again, a decade, you know? Sure. Um, and that's what I wish happened in the third Batman movie as well. But we won't get into that uh, either. But I, I think, you know, you, would, you said that it would have been for Cat for... Steve Rogers, if Bucky had stayed dead, I felt that the the series took a bit of a dip when Cap came back in the Reborn story arc mm. a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, they had to do that because you know yeah, the movie and all of that. Too, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I, and I I agree to a certain point because how do you follow? If it's the opera, how do you follow the giant aria? You know, right, the diva yeah. comes on stage and blows the doors mm-hmm. off the building. Where do you go from there? It's almost maybe Brubaker should have left after, mm-hmm. right? Kept, dropped the mic and yeah. disappeared. <laughs> yeah. But, but what's interesting to me is during the Winter Soldier story arc where Sharon is telling him, "Well, that's not Bucky anymore." Right. Yeah. Oh, but but to, right right but to Cap, no. Yeah. He's in there. That's why he went AWOL when he was here. Yeah. There's something inside him. He's fighting against yeah. his masters. I'll find a way to save him. Yeah. Though yeah, that put a chill through me. Yeah, yeah. That that's a great Cap that's a great those. sequence. Yeah, when he's he's like, you know, that's the cat like you said, like Bucky represented to him the people he couldn't save. And now that he was back, he was not going he was there was no there was no option. Yeah. There was no that's option. Right. There was not like I'm gonna let him do what he's gonna do. We're gonna kill him, we're gonna take him out because he's this monster. I this person who has shaped my entire life, I have the chance, the actual chance now to save his life. Mm. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let it, you know, pass. And that's great. Oh man, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this: what I think, and Bob mentioning though about the character of Captain America, um, and how maybe it, you know, the character of Steve Rogers, how it, it, it maybe it changes that the feeling about him. What I will say is, I think the one thing that's great about what Baker did is, I think Bucky in himself has become a fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Character separately. He's my favorite. I know he's your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think just for that alone, I think it, it's, it's important because of a, a great character that's been re-added into the Marvel Universe mm-hmm. 
in, 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 in that way. And the interesting thing that, that Joey said, and I'd like to amplify something from my point of view with it, I think in the early, the first eight or nine of those Brubaker issues, I think he and Sharon, Sharon and Steve had broken up. Mm-hmm. She is crabby, mm-hmm. uh, objectionable. She is not mm-hmm. the person I knew. Mm-hmm. But in the wake of his, uh, well, she has some struggles within that, that whole storyline. I don't want to give too much away. There's some nice beats with her in it. But after the save with Bucky, with, which, are, mm. which is really kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Really made people read that before you see this movie. <laughs> Just read it because you should read it because it's one of the great storylines ever. Yeah. And she becomes, in, in the wake of Cap's death, the old Sharon. Mm-hmm. And the Sharon-Sam uh, thing change back to the way it was and it's as if within just he had a very long run but within those two or three years he reset the pieces mm-hmm. and then added mm-hmm. you know, James Buchanan Barnes into this mix right and in a seamless way mm-hmm. and I remember Steve when we were doing the book club you mentioned how much fun it was reading real Nick Fury well I shouldn't say real Nick Fury yeah, the yeah. original Nick Fury <laughs> yeah 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 because yeah. everybody yeah. else he's not the real Nick yeah, Fury anyway. yeah yeah what would, what would you like me to say about it? <laughs> what did, how did you enjoy reading that version of Nick Fury, the original? Yeah, well, I've been enjoying him in... Um, oh, what, Bitter March? Is No, what's the... Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. that is right. Okay, yeah. Uh, especially in that first issue. Yeah. He's great yeah. in that first issue. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I've had bits and pieces with the, the Samuel L. Jackson model Nick Fury, and, and he's fine. He's always up to something, though. Yeah. He's always up to something. I kind of like the straightforward soldier version of Nick Fury. Cigar chomping. Yeah. yeah. I'm really. The Hasselhoff version. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad that both exist. Yeah. And I'm glad that both are now within the continuity that you can get either one. Yeah. No, I find him highly enjoyable. I look forward to seeing more of him in the, in the future. Mm. Now, you were. Our Winter Soldier thing, it was your first experience really reading Cap except in an Avengers book. Yes, it was my first time ever reading anything called Captain America blank. (laughs) And um, yeah, I mean, we've been talking about, we talked about it for almost two hours. It was two hours the other night. Um, Great conversations, great uh, great contributions from the panel too. Like, wow, you guys brought your A-game to that. But enough of that. Um... I, I I really I did enjoy it. I don't know that it's going to push me to read more Captain America. I think that with all the suggestions that you've made tonight that I might enjoy some of the older stuff. Um I mean you talked about some really great storylines and just, you know, iconic moments within his history that sound a lot cooler to me than what I read in oh. The Winter Soldier. Uh, I enjoyed The Winter Soldier, but I also found it, um, like I said, the first six issues I found to be pretty slow. Uh, it wasn't until the the number seven, the Jack Monroe, the death, the what was lonesome it? death, the lonesome death of Jack Monroe. Absolutely, positively loved that issue, and yeah. to me, that was what set up the rest of that mm-hmm. run, or at least one through fourteen. Um, and with seven through fourteen. Then going back to one through six made one through six better for me, but I still I, I still hold I mean and and also necessary completely necessary mm-hmm. to have the those issues be as melancholy and as as 
dark yeah. and deadly serious as they were. Flashbacks to the Russian front and all right. sorts of... Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I loved the, the PTSD, you know, um, survivor's guilt cap. But at the same time, while I was loving it, I also... I, I always have this image of Captain America being this kind of jovial or jolly character. Or seeing him in, you know, the big, colorful pages with him stomping on a bunch of Nazis and at the top of the pile, you know, heaving people over and just shield in the air, fit the other, you know, his other hands in a, clenched in a fist. There's an explosion in the background. He's just like, America! And, you know, <laughs> that's what I have in my it's head. Like Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Right. But then going into Brubaker's, it was like, mm, let's bring it down. Let's Indeed. put, yeah, let's put Cap in and, you know, he's really, really messed up and he's really just, he feels bad about what happened to Bucky and now he's got all these people around him where he has someone that he loves and that he trusts in his face telling him, listen, I know unequivocally, I know that voice. It's him. And he's kind of of the mind of like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. Haven't I gone through enough with this? Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me that he's back? And he doesn't want to say it because he's like, I hate you right now. I have, en- I have enough going on that I'm not really telling you about because I have to be Captain America, not just to, to me, but to everyone. And now you're dumping this on me when I'm literally losing my mind, when the, the, the cosmic cube is invading my dreams and is twisting my past and is doing all these things to my brain, and now you're telling me that a ghost from my past is back, and he's not who I remember, and you want me to kill him? I'm not going to do that. And that was like we talked about it in the book club. And if you haven't read The Winter Soldier, there is a huge, huge Cap moment towards the very end of that where Cap makes a sacrifice. Or, you know, he, he wishes upon a cosmic yeah. cube. <laughs> and it, it changes everything. And it's if if that's the only Captain America that I've read so far, I'm very happy to have read it, not just to be caught up for the movie, but for that for that Jack Monroe issue and for that moment yeah. that that moment made the fourteen issues worth it. That for me, that that was it was worth reading. I mean, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to say that's a no. It's a great moment because it yeah. points out who Captain America yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, anybody that listens to the show that knows my tastes, and you know, I love those character moments. I love those really big things that you can. I can slog through a couple of issues if you're going to have it pay off for me in a really big way. You know, stuff with Spider-Man going on recently. You know, we didn't talk about it, but I mean, this past issue, I jumped up out of my seat and pumped my fist yeah. in the air, nearly killed the, the comic shop in the process. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those moments where you're just like, yes, I that happened at the end of the of that story or those 14 issues. I It goes on, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. He, yeah. You know, for seven years, he writes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. writes that book. But that story, <laughs> yeah. the, the threads of it go on for the next 15 20 issues right, right. yeah yeah right. i mean like i said happy happy to have read it uh unexpected tone for it to be my first captain america mm-hmm. um but if i were to if i were to adventure any more into cap i would definitely sit down with you bob and i would get the names of some of the stuff that you've gone through cool. tonight mm-hmm. and i would read those hmm. because those sound a bit more appealing to me even though i sometimes like some of the dark stuff 
I don't. I I want to see Cap in both ends of the spectrum. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, it's very good for him in the movie. Obviously, the movie is definitely taking that Brubaker tone Super from everything, the you movie. Heard, from your, everything you heard about it. Um, so we have some uh, rapid fire questions I want to get there before oh, we get okay. to the end here. Um, which writer do you think Bob has encapsulated the most on model Cap, and for your money, who draws the best Cap? Steve Englehart's my favorite Captain mm-hmm. America writer. Kirby. Kirby? All right. Hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is from Dyer Harris. It says, what would be the best Captain America storyline to adapt to a movie? Winter Soldier. (laughs) (laughs) Cap Wolf. (laughs) I I have such a great pun for Cap Wolf, but I'm not doing it. I'd love to see the Secret Empire. Mm. Yeah. I really just, the, the whole, we're going to go political with Cap and, and tie it into the world he's coming out of in mm. Winter Soldier. That said, a Cap for President movie wouldn't be such a bad idea. That would be awesome. I, I guess the tone like, they're going for. I know. But I would it, it would be like fun. the Stern run or one of those kind of more grounded runs adapted into one of those Netflix miniseries. Mm. Oh, there. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, That'd be cool. I like that, Joey. Good, good thought. Absolutely cool. This is from Ryan Lemieux, and he says, "Is there a particular story arc that you can recommend that entails all of what makes Captain America who he is?" Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> is this like that TV, that radio commercial where everything is what Toyota? Yeah. <laughs> where did you get your shoes, Toyota? <laughs> Why wow, everything that he is? In some ways, I would tell you it's the the, the least Duranko stuff. Mm-hmm. So those forages yeah. there, where you've got. Rick Jones standing in for Bucky and that loss and he's with the Avengers and then that panel I showed you before mm-hmm. where th- that could be that could be a really good one. A lot of other ones, yeah. believe me, that we've talked about today. But right. To, specifically to mm. encapsulate who Captain America is. Yeah. Where he actually, he has to walk alone at the end. He has to go back to, well, no one can know who I am and mm-hmm. I have to go do what I do. And, right. Oh, feels. All right. Yeah. This is from Brad Pinder. He wants to know, what happened to Steve's father? Well, according to Remender, no, yeah. I'm not going to get into he's that. He's in Dimension Z somewhere with long hair, and he's got yeah. a shield thrown through his head or something. <laughs> yeah. It was never about it. Well, I mean, in the series, that, that the issues that I've read, his father was never really as prominent a figure as his mother. You know, right. it's, just a, it's just an absence in the story. But you know what? That's allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just never there. Right. And we saw him, you know, now in the Depression being an abusive father. Yeah. Yeah. They never came up. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's the best stuff about the Remender stuff is that kind of flashback stuff. that's the shame of it yeah, yeah because they, that stopped they, three issues in right they do mention the father i think in the first movie and that he died serving oh okay in 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 one of the i guess i mm-hmm. assume yeah. i guess 107 one yeah or something like that right. so right. I, that i think that was a nice moment mm-hmm. for the character yeah but in the comics i can't really think of anything no. Pertinent. Right. No, they never made him into a supervillain or anything. Right. So, though the, at one point, there was a brother and sister that we never saw. Or, mm. And he grew up in Virginia for a rich family. And turns out there was Roger Stern got rid of those. He went, oh, those, I those, read that story. That right, was awesome. Right. Yeah, those memories didn't happen. That was a fake thing that we did. So, <laughs> so in case they captured you, mm-hmm. you tell them this story instead of the real one about you growing up in New York. Guys gotcha. from like Maryland. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Superbad Larry wants to know, are there are any of Steve's family members still alive? I know he has no children, but maybe cousins, nieces, nephews, etc. Sam Wilson. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes, he's his brother. Uh, there are a few. There, right, there are a few clones around. Right. One yep. of whom was the Red Skull at the start of the Winter Soldier. Mm. Right. Yeah. Where he gets shot. Yeah. yeah. None. 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 Okay. Um, Bernie. And- Poor Bernie. We need Bernie <laughs> to come back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at uh, shocked eighty seven wants to know. Can you give top three Captain America stories that are on Marvel Unlimited? Now, what Bob's going to do is he's going to give you your top, his top three. And I'm going to look them up to see if they're on Marvel Unlimited. Oh, I've, I've been looking at them all through the last all right, hour so and a half. Joey all of can the help issues us. of that 68 to 96 run are on Marvel oh, wow. Unlimited. Oh, wow. Oh. Okay. All right. So, Bob, top three stories. My top three. So, it's not about what represents anything. No, this is your top three stories. Cap of the 50s. Mm-hmm. Secret Empire. <laughs> Cap Wolf. No, not Cap. <laughs> no, if I was going Wolves, it would be it would be the deadly, it would be Deadly Nightshade or Werewolf by Night or something. Brew Baker and Gene Colan did an excellent vampire story oh, in Colin. issue like six oh three. Oh yes, that's right. Yes, I forgot that one. Um, third best. I I might say the original Cosmic Cube story, which is oh, it's written down on my list here to give you the exact issue numbers. It's Tales of Suspense 79 to 81. The Red Skull has just come back for the first time. They had done some flashbacks to World War II. And I I didn't really know who the Red Skull was, but boy, was he a great villain. He instantly went right up there with Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the story that's in the first movie. Right. So I might go that one. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, they have a lot of cap stuff on Marvel Unlimited. I mean, that that's ton great. of it. Like That's why I read the Steve Englehart um Cap of the Fifties stuff, and I was weirdly. I mean, part of Marvel Limited is they have there's an amazing service, but sometimes you just like there's just stuff that's missing or wrong. Like if you click on the first issue of the Wade Run, like when I was trying to click on it, nothing was coming up. It would be a big loading comic book, and then forever it would would just be or just be blank black, and I could scroll through like be like page one, page two, page three, but it was (laughs) all glitchy sometimes, you know. Um, so that's the problem, but they have a lot of stuff on there. Yeah. And it's definitely a place I'm going to look for to kind of look at some, some runs and, and read more about it. Um, well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Bob. And, and oh, thank, thank you guys. And thank you, Joey, for coming on and helping us out oh, absolutely. with it as well. Um, we've been talking a lot about books that came out a long time ago. Let's talk about what's on the shelves. Uh, right now we've got from abstract studios, Rachel rising number 24 from action lab entertainment, skyward number six. From Avatar Press, Caliban number one, Cross Badlands number fifty-one, God is Dead number ten. Um, from Boom Studios, we have Adventure Time, The Flip Side number four. We've got Dead Letters number one, Garfield number twenty-four, and Suicide Risk number twelve. From Dark Horse Comics, we have Angel and Faith season ten number one, Bad Blood number four. We have got Edgar Allan Poe's The Premature Burial one shot. We've got... Um, Is that the Corbin stuff you have? I'm going to assume ones? it's going okay. to be. He seems to be the one oh, doing it all the time. Great. Yeah, those are they're awesome. Uh, we've got Grindhouse Doors Open at Midnight, number seven of eight. Itty Bitty Hellboy, number one. They have a $1 edition coming out. Nice. Uh, Juice Squeezers, number four. Uh, Lobster <laughs> Johnson, Get the Lobster, number three of five. <laughs> Terminator Salvation, The Final Battle, number five of 12. And Veil, number two. Sweet. Uh, <clears throat> from DC Comics, we have Action Comics, number 30. Uh, Aquaman and the Others, number one. We've got Batman 66, volume one. We've got Batwing, number 30. We've got Detective Comics, number 30, which starts the Francis Manipal, Brian Bucciolato run Ooh, on that book. Might have to check that out. Yeah, the, the cover is fantastic. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen anything from it yet. Oh, man, the cover is awesome. Nice. Uh, Earth 2, number 22. We've got Ferris, number 25. Green Arrow, number 30. Green Lantern, number 30. 
We've got Looney Tunes, number 218. The Movement, number 11. Uh, Stormwatch, number 30, which is the final issue. Swamp Thing, number 30. Trillium, number 8 of 8. Trinity mm. of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, number 18. Vampire Diaries, number 4. From Dynamite Entertainment, we have Ash and the Army of Darkness, number 5. Mark Wade's The Green Hornet, number 11. Red mm. Sonia, number 8. Yes. Shadow mm. Year One, number 8. Tarak Dinosaur Hunter, number 3. Um... From IDW, we've got G.I. Joe Special Missions, number 13. Judge Dredd, Mega City 2, number 3. Monster and Madman, number 2. We've got Rogue Trooper, number 2. Sinister Dexter, number 5. <clears throat> no Transformers book this week, Bob, so you can't even guess. That's like two, three weeks in a row without a I know. Guess. I, don't I don't know, know what's know. going on. Image Uh-oh. Comics, they're trying to throw you off. They're trying to throw I you off. So. Um, I know. They know you've got it right, so they got to reset the, the game board. From Image Comics, we got 68, Rule of War, number 1. We've got Apocalypse AI, number three. We've got Artifacts, number 36. Black Science, number five. Elephant Men, number 55. Field, number one of four. Invincible Universe, number 12. Pretty Deadly, number five. Nice. Revival, number 19. Secret, number seven. Self-Obsessed, one shot. Shotgun Wedding, number one of four. Sidekick, number six. And Starlight, number two. Um, From Marvel Comics, we have um, Black Widow, number five. Captain yes. America, number 19. Um, <laughs> we've got Deadpool versus Carnage, number one of four. We've got um, Inhuman, number one. Ooh. Loki, Agent of Asgard, number three. <coughs> Magneto, number two. Sweet. Um, Moon Knight, number two. New Warriors, yes. number three. We've got um, Punisher, number four. Ooh. We've got She-Hulk, number three. Yep. Yes. Um, I was making sure it was the second printing. Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number 200. Nice. Uh, what If Age of Ultron number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but... What, what If Age of no. Ultron was never published. Yeah. <laughs> That's the what if I want. <laughs> uh, Archer and Armstrong number 19. And Quantum and Woody number nine. Uh, that's from Valiant. From Xenoscope, we have Barmaid number four and Grim Fairy Tales number 96. I'm not touching Barmaid. All right. You get a disease. No, I'm sorry. So <laughs> that is it for the books that are coming out uh, this week. The, have to read some penicillin number yeah. one. Yeah. The Edgar Allan Poe book is Richard Corbin. So Whoa. beautiful stuff. Uh, if you like Edgar Allan Poe, it's, it's a great, it's a great, great read. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Talking Comics. And um, you can email us, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. My personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? Mine is at Dead underscore Anchorus. Joey? At Joey Braccino, B-R-A-C-C-I-N-O. And Bobby, your email address? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right. So I think that's going to do it for our History of Captain America show. Um Stay tuned, guys. Look on the website for other Captain America content. We'll be putting up the Winter Soldier book club. Bob mm-hmm. has his 10 essential Captain America stories. Joey is doing a panel uh, review 101. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. Captain America comics number one. Um, we also have this show going up. We have our interview with Steve Englehart going up. And then next week, you guys will hear our review of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And also, like I said before, Joey's doing a written review of the movie. <laughs> So, nice. I am? No, I am. Yeah, you are. Come on. <laughs> I get, I'll, 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 I'll show the email to everyone. <laughs> I got my tickets. I got my tickets for Thursday evening. Nice. Nice. So excited about that movie. Yeah. Um, these guys, too, if you get a chance, check out our other uh, podcasts, The Misfits, Talking Games, 
talking movies uh definitely check those out um let us know what you think uh send them to their respective contact information let them know what you think of their shows review us on itunes um i think that's it i think it's all the plugs that I, that got, and got, coffee and brewed and boarded. Yeah, well, brewed and boarded is very, very sporadic, <laughs> so I can't even promote that. Um, what was this about Russians? I heard. Oh, that was night. crazy. Uh, <laughs> the end of it was just a mess of. He drank the whole bottle, then he shit himself. Yes. <laughs> was three Russian like late teens, early twenties yeah. guys who I think listened to the show and they might listening right now. Well, He's in the other hey room, guys. bro. Yeah, who came on and just crashed and seemed like the bro, bro guys yeah. from the tracksuit wow. mafia from uh, Hawkeye. So, he drank <laughs> the whole thing. It was a crazy ending. But yeah, Comics and Coffee every Friday, me and Mara Wood. Uh, and we, like always on that show, we'll be talking about kind of the, the whatever news kind of breaks in between the two shows, something we can talk about there. So we kind of figure it out on the fly with that one. But make sure you check out the website as well, talkingcomicbooks.com, for all the reviews from all our awesome uh, contributors, including Mr. Joey Pacino. Um, and uh, if you're in the Jersey City area, make sure you go see his plays. <laughs> yeah, bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson. Yeah. So Joey's a, Joey's a, a renaissance man of sorts. Yes. So you have to well, check that out as well. I was in Jersey City a couple weeks ago, Joey. It's a good place. Yeah, it's a good I, place to be. I was filming a wedding, so. Sorry, I, I got in trouble once before talking about Jersey City. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Zip it, Bob. All right. <laughs> so thank you all for tuning into our history of Captain America for Steve. Hoorah. Bob. Good night to Jersey City. And Joey. Adios. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>